big time card coming at us this weekend. UFC 294 title fight up at the top and an all-timer of a co-main event. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. And just like that, we are back and the deck is set. We have an awesome card coming at you from Abu Dhabi this weekend. UFC 294, as always, one half of your host, duo, Craig Allen. Twitter and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective socials, Matt Allen FNP. In the 11th hour out of the title fight main event in a rematch is Charles Oliveira. A bad cut over his eye. And in on 11 days notice, we have another rematch in the wings. Alexander Volkanovsky gets a step back up and challenge for that lightweight belt for the second time this year. But out of the first fight that we had at UFC 284, Volkanovsky went out there. He headlined International Fight Week. Third round TKO finish against Yair Rodriguez. The co-main event, as I said, all-time great at welterweight. Kamaru Usman steps up on 10 days notice to replace Paulo Costa, who was out due to bursitis, an old lady elbow injury. Costa out, Usman in to take on what could be an all-timer in Hamzat Shamaya. Matt, this card is absolutely stacked to the gills. I feel like we let people know when it's okay to be down on a card, right? But I will give the UFC credit for one thing. They know how to put together a card on short notice at the last minute, right? Because how many times have we had a main event, a co-main event of a pay-per-view that you're already pretty excited for, get cancelled, and then the new matchup maybe not only be as good as that previous fight, but probably even better. Like, that's what I do respect the UFC for, because I know you were excited, I was excited to see Oliveira versus Makachev for a second time. I think Oliveira was going to make a much better account of himself in the rematch. But Volkanovski versus Makachev is one of the better fights that we've seen in a long, long time. And I do think Volkanovski being one of those guys, you can always count on being in shape, right? He never just balloons up. He's not the former rugby player. They're going to bring up that stack quite a bit. I just think this is a great fight card on short notice because I'm still pretty excited for the pay-per-view. I don't know about you. And you can't often say that when the main fight and the co-main event both get canceled and rescheduled. But a lot of big time prospects on this card too. We have overall sophomore showings. I mean, this is the second time out for Dudakov. Naimov, Jubilee, Gafurov, and Ali Skerov. UFC debuts. There's two of them on this card. The hometown guy. And you don't get to say that about the United Arab Emirates all that often, but the Emirati fighter being Mohammed Yahya, the UAE Warriors champ. He makes his debut against Trevor Peak. And we have Don't Lock Lips in Public, Shara Magomedov. That guy is one of the best Muay Thai artists that you're going to find coming into the UFC. But when you look at this card overall and the cards that we've had from UFC 293 on, five cards total, four of them underdog sitting. And I thought it fitting, Matt. I'm going to wear my Charlie Hewlett practice jersey. I don't know who that is. Charlie Hewlett wore this jersey in practice. He is the long snapper for the Cleveland Browns. The underdog Browns today getting the win over the San Francisco 49ers, the best team in the NFL. They're no more dethroned by my Browns. But Charlie Hewlett from 2012 to to Charlie Hewlett was on eight different practice squads and twice in his career He's gotten the biggest contract for a long snapper in NFL history. So underdogs are cashing in the UFC. My Browns is the underdogs are cashing. I thought, let's wear a Charlie Hewlett jersey. Now the news has to change a little bit, Matt. This is an extended intro, and I won't let you do a thousand-yard stare. But with UFC 294 this weekend, 295 coming up, 296 is set for December, and it's a big-time card. After UFC 296, we're going on a hiatus. We are. 
That's it for Fight Night Picks. And I know that's going to catch a lot of people off guard for sure. But Matt, I mean, we're getting into the nitty gritty. Fight Night Picks has been going on since 2018. I was sitting in a dank office in a basement not that far from where I'm at right now. Oddly enough, yeah. But yeah, I've been we I've been doing this since 2018. Matt came into the fold in 2019. But I gotta break the fourth wall with a lot of people. You build up a YouTube channel like this, and you're supposed to make it seem like a really big company. It's a lot of things going on. It's a, I'm doing this every single night, and I've been doing it for five years, and I can't do it any longer. As Shane said, I've, it's been a lot. I've had no social life at all for five years, so yeah. Um, I know that one's gonna hit a lot of people in different ways, but listen. We're going to keep it alive from now until 296. Exactly. And as I said, it's a hiatus. Maybe there's special projects. And I think this fact. is a card that you can easily get excited for. I think this is one that you can get excited for. I know I'm excited about it, Matt. So put the retirement talk off for a bit. We get some big fights to talk about. You can always find us here at Fight Night Picks for the time being. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Fireworks this weekend at middleweight. We have a big time UFC debut. This is one of those fights where you tell your buddies to come over and you say, hey, get over a little bit earlier. We got the Costco entrees popped in. You're going to want those on a Saturday to get set for the UFC debut of Shara Sharapuddin Bullet. Magameta, Muay Thai Zone, he's going to be taking on Blindado, Blindado, Bruno Silver, Silva, former M1 Global middleweight champ. But when I look at this matchup, Matt, this is one of those UFC debuts that fight fans know about. Shara exactly. Magameta, as a K1 athlete, he went 18-2. and two. That's an awesome record. And then you go through, you look at it, he was a Eurasian champ in... One sport that they call Burmese boxing, also known as Lethway. And in the UFC, there's only one Lethway athlete that I can think of that made it somewhat far, and that's Yulia Stoyarenko. But you think of Canada's Dave LaDuke. He got pretty high over there. He did. And then he did and said things that people didn't like, and it kind of forced him out of it. But when you look at Sharmagomedov, the Muay Thai that he possesses is some of the most deadly that I've ever seen watching the it's tape. And nice. when I look at Sharmagomedov's record, he's 11-0. and 0. You see the topologies and all the different record collectives where there's some other selective fights, but they aren't actually pro MMA fights. You exactly. go down through it. A really good article that was done out there in 2022 by a friend of the show, Sean Bitter with the Scrap. And he added a little bit more into it that I found interesting. Russian Muay Thai champ. I was unaware of that one. And of course, in BJJ, Shara Magomedov has competed. Now, if you're a guy named Jakub Bilko in a fight that I watched today or a grappling match that I watched, Shara Magomedov gets caught in a heel hook. He taps and then he gets up. As he's trying to get up, kicks his opponent and gets on top of him like he wants to fight him. This guy's got a temper... That's as hot as the coals in a fire. And so there's some things that kind of take away from it. Again, I open the show by saying you don't want to be a couple kissing in public going up an escalator. Shar Magomedov will open a can of whoop-ass allegedly on you. But just for his fight skills, Matt, for Magomedov in the tape study, it's... It's a fan-friendly style. It's, it's easy enough to find. Now, I'll admit it, I'll admit it, like Drizzy Drake said one time. I spent... $9.99 on Fight TV to watch a Glory of a uh, Glory Heroes card that Char Magomedov was on. Brad Riddell was on that card. It was his second 
Well, he was two fights away from the UFC. We'll put it that way. Brad Riddell competing in MMA, wearing a t-shirt. It was a weird look. But Shara Magomedov. Carlos Sparza did like the Spider-Man meme. I spent my 10 bucks to see Shara Magomedov fight Blood Diamond. And it was an all-timer. Magomedov puts it on him in the first round. Blood Diamond kind of draws even in the second. In the third, Magomedov pulls away. But what I learned from that fight against Blood Diamond and just Muay Thai, rather kickboxing, what I learned from Magomedov in MMA, when this guy has space, again, he's a dynamo, and I'll let you kind of talk about some of the techniques. I have a lot of notes on the technique as well. But for Magomedov, when he's inside of a phone booth, this guy's hips are dynamic. His spinning attacks, his elbows, his exactly. back fists are dynamic. The only spot where I've really seen Magomedov struggle is some of that takedown defense. But Magomedov is one of those guys where, again, I say it, if you know some of those fighters that are out there, the Darren Tills of the world, the Imran Tatsulayev fights. Like, if you look at the guys that Magomedov's trained with, whether it's been in Thailand, whether it's been in his native Russia, he's one of those can't-miss type of prospects, and he gets a tough debut That's what I was gonna start against with. Bruno Silva. This is one of the better opening fight cards, or opening fights that you if, will get on a card. If like, it's still there by the end of the week. Very good point. But the point is, for Bruno Bruno Silva, like, he has been known for being one of those crazy must-see TV type of fighters, right? He might not be the best middleweight has to offer because you understand for all the strengths he possesses, the punching power, the fairly good BJJ when he's able to get it down to the mat, especially in dominant positions, there are some holes there in his game at this stage. And at this point in his career at 34, he's had a decent amount of fights, right? Like, this could be his 33rd fight ultimately. So I wonder if he will be able to make those improvements as he does rise the ranks. Because to me, Bruno Silva is kind of falling into that 16th-ranked middleweight. I think it'd be a tough fight for most people in the top 15, but I think a lot of those people with their well-roundedness would be able to get over the hump, but I think if you're outside the top 15 looking in, he's a very difficult matchup for you, and that's why I love this as an intro fight for Mega Medoff, because I love what Mega Medoff can do, and especially like you had mentioned. In the open cage, when he's able to implement his kicks, he's a much more dangerous fighter, because they do help him close the distance, and the one thing that I don't love out of Mega Medoff is, he will get a little bit overexcited when not only has an opponent hurt, when he is closing the distance, he will throw that spinning back fist where he'll leave himself a little bit open. It's not like a Marab Devalsh feeling where he's spamming it like a Beyblade over and over again, but he can leave himself open to be countered by a big shot. And if Bruno Silva has any chance in any fight to land that one big shot, you gotta believe he has it, because he does have that lasting power. I know that Gerald Mearshar fight, it was a weird one. We're gonna bring it up every time Bruno Silva fights, but it does leave some openings for hey. If Gerald can land some of those straight shots down the middle, Mega Metal can definitely disguise some of his kicks in with the combinations, and if he's able to get that part of his game working, it's going to be a difficult fight for Silva because for as questionable as the takedown defense of Mega Medoff is, I don't know if Silva's the type of fighter who's just going to decide, hey, and I'm putting on the wrestling shoes. I'm only shooting takedowns from go. I think he is going to strike a little bit to warm up in the fight. Yeah, and that's where things can get a little bit squirrely. You look at it for Mega Medoff, even in the, flight, the fight against Blood Diamond, he checks every single leg kick. He's one of the best guys at checking leg kicks that I've seen in a really long time. Does he have the most time. mortal combat topology picture of all time? He does. He's got the braided, like, rope around his head it's and around aggressive. his arms. But again, you saw that from Magomedov in Muay Thai. Now, again, Dave Leduc reference famously hated Muay Thai, so he probably wouldn't be a big Magomedov fan, but when you go back and you watch these fights, whether it is with Blood Diamond throwing axe kicks, leg kicks, teak kicks to the body, I saw on multiple occasions in his MMA and Muay Thai career, Magomedov would go left hook to the body, left kick to the body, like, there was no time between them. So he really is the Justin Tucker of kicks when yeah. it comes to MMA. But going back through and looking at Magomedov's overall record, combined opponent record, 119 and 57. 
And it is pretty decent level competition. You look at it, he became the TFC middleweight champ back in December of last year. That was the last time that he fought. He took on 7-6, and six, Casol Villas. And if you go back and watch that fight, Matt, Villas two fights before then. Again, this is a middleweight fight at 185. He fought at Bantamweight, Featherweight, and then Middleweight. And Mr. Villas runs across the cage like he's... Well, not really Marcin Pracnio, but hands completely outstretched, eats an E for his trouble, then there's a ground and pound finish. It was done in less than 10 seconds, a win for Magomedov. But you go back through and you look at it before that, I think the most kind of competitive fight that he's had so far in his MMA career, second to last fight with RCC, Mikhail Rogozin. And you watch that fight, Rogozin's able to land some good shots. And listen, if you watch the Magomedov tape, whatever discipline it is, I've seen him knock down in some of these fights, And I was just Matt. about to ask you, if Bruno Silva can eliminate the kicks, because I think that's the range he struggles the most with, really with anybody on the feet, right? Silva in that boxing range has enough power, has enough technique, to where he really is a threat to anybody. He landed clean on Alex Pereira, so guess what? I bet you can land clean on Megamedov. But the question really comes into, can he collapse that distance and eliminate the kicks? Because if Megamedov is allowed to just keep on landing that left kick to the body, softening up Bruno Silva, making him more of a sitting duck as this fight continues, then Megamedov should be able to just rinse and repeat that kind of a game plan over and over again but it comes down to can Bruno get him up against the cage and just start to eliminate some of that offense because if you turn Magomedov into strictly a boxer well I think Silva can have success in that kind of fight and we have seen Magomedov hit in those spots again the opponent that I mentioned Rogozin that's one you got to go back and watch the fight against uh Martinov that was the one before the Rogozin fight so his third to last fight wins that one in the third round a lot of knees in the clinch his opponent falls down but in that one his opponent really tires as it goes on. He wins a light heavyweight championship with Arena Global 17 against Rodrigo Carlos, who's 27 and 21. The guy was a tomato can, but I think the best fight where you sh were able to see some resolve out of Magomedov was against Mikhail Alakvergian over with AMC Fight Nights Global. In that one, his opponent pressures him behind the black line up against the cage for most of the first round, and then all of a sudden Magomedov bites down to the mouthpiece. He lands a left elbow and Pretty drops cool his opponent, yes. and it's a giant comeback win like he's Edson Barboza. Not really, but kind of. You look at Bruno Silva again. 4-3 and three in the UFC. The losses, Brennan Allen, Alex Pereira, and at GM3, you look at that Brennan Allen fight. Silva was all over him he and had Allen that. hurt right up until Allen throws two hooks. It drops Silva. He gets down to the mat. No hook rear naked choke, and it's over. Silva's loss against GM3. He tired. He got dropped by that short right hand, and it was all GM3. But the wins, Brad Tavares, Jordan Wright. You see it against uh, Andrew Sanchez, ultimate fighter winner, and Wellington Terman. Three performance bonuses in those last three wins. And against Wellington Terman and Alex Pereira, you were able to see some of that grappling out of the man out of El Sao Tai in Bruno Silva. So again, 20 of 23 wins for Bruno Silva by knockout. The knockdown ratio in the UFC is 2-2. Two to two. For Magomedov, 10 of 11 wins by knockout. I'm surprised. Magomedov, a 2-1 to one favorite in the matchup in his UFC debut against Bruno Silva. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 70% Magomedov just because I see those odds that are there. I think they'll be under. I think they're going to be on. Not at all. 1,350 total votes, 83% Magomedov, 78% by knockout for the 17% that have Silva, 70% by knockout. So Matt, the fans see a knockout with Magomedov. He can be a sore loser in grappling tournaments. I'm eager to that. see what we get out of him because, again, I know we kind of scoffed on this and question mark kicks last week about Terrence McKinney shooting a takedown. I wouldn't be well, surprised. If if, people out in 10 it, seconds. I, you don't really have to I, worry I wouldn't about be it. surprised if Bruno Silva closed the distance to try to take this to the mat. 
I agree with you. It's just my my whole point is he might go for takedowns, but there's going to be a minute. There's going to be two minutes where he's not. Like, I just don't think he's going to go in there with the mindset of, hey, I'm Shale Sonnen now. My knees are going to get rug burn on them, and I'm just shooting double legs all night. He is going to go for takedowns, probably. I just think during that feeling out process, it is going to leave him as a bit of a sitting duck. I got to be honest, everybody else's confidence on topology makes me a little worried. I do have Magomedov as the pick in this fight, because I just worry about where Bruno Silva's durability is at this stage of his career. GM3 was able to hurt him. Brennan Allen's a pretty good fighter, for being honest, but he doesn't have, like, 9 out of 10, 1 of 1 punching power, right? He is a good fighter when he's able to land clean shots, but if Megamedos is able to replicate some of the success that those previous fighters were, I think he can put Silva out. If you can get Bruno Silva a plus 160, I say I'm picking him at that. I mean, I I'm going with him. Bruno Silva in the matchup. For Megamedov, again... I'm not joking when I say this. He is one of the most impressive Muay Thai prospects that I've ever seen, regardless of the competition that he's facing. This guy, again, an up elbow and then same side body kick after that. I saw that in his fight against uh, Ragosian. Double spins. He's able to do a lot of crazy stuff. He will put himself out of position in some of these spinning attacks. Exactly. And we saw it against, who was it? Uh, Martinov and Rogozhin. Spin attack, he slips. He used to be able to get away with it in Muay Thai. He saw it in the Blood Diamond fight. Because what happens when you spin and you slip? Well, the referee ca calls a pause and then you're allowed back up. But in MMA, Magomedov does these things and then his opponents can get on top of him. He's got a good first move initially in these he fights. Does. But, but again, he does struggle with a lot of the takedowns. So I'll go with Bruno Silva in this one. Matt going with Ashara Bullet Magomedov. Let us know down below in the comment section who you have. Some big time fights on this card. It almost feels to me like there's two title fights up at the top, even though there's one. A little bit. Make sure you check out these videos. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. week, Donnie Brook coming up this weekend. We have the undefeated Victoria Dudikova taking on the former Invicta Adamweight champ. It is Jinyu Fry. And Matt, when we look at a matchup like this, it feels a little bit like in with the old and out with the new. Well, that's not how it goes. In with the new, out with the old. And for Jinyu Fry, she's halfway to 39. She's 2-5 and five in the UFC. She's lost her last three fights. It seems to me like she's a little bit of a stepping stone in this fight. But you can't just say that because you got to take a look at the opponent that she's facing, Victoria Dudikova. And we had a lot to say going into her debut against Estela Nunes. If you look at Dudikova, uh, after her last fight on Contender Series, that was the state of her knee. In the that's second round, it went really bad for her against Maria Silva. Wins the first round, wins the third round. Dana White says, and I quote Matt, I didn't love this fight, but she showed me everything that I needed to see in the fight. It was next level resiliency, and that is the wild thing. Like, she had so much success with her own offensive grappling in that opening round. But like you say, the second round was the complete opposite. Like, she was getting absolutely dominated. I think the graphic up on the screen was like three and a half minutes of opponent top control on her. And that was the really odd thing to see because, like you bring up, in the third round, well, it just completely got flipped over on its head again. Oh, it's going to be really weird because, again, for Dudakova getting back from that knee injury, we talked about her before she fought Maria Silva, who was a pretty big favorite over there on Contender Series. Let's throw it on over to a clip from the show from last summer. Uh, but when it does come down to this fight, hoop of shame around Dudakova. She's able to make the weight successfully. Very, very young prospect she is. So maybe if she doesn't win this fight, she ends up back on the show in some capacity. I think she has a very, very... Uh, you know, bright future in the sport. And I think for Maria Silva, a lot of people are going to rally around her. If I'm not mistaken, she is the favorite in this matchup as well. So the more known commodity, I think Dudakova has a great shot in this, uh, in this matchup here. 
this is my issue with Dudikova. I wasn't impressed with any of her wins on the regional scene. Like, a lot of her wins were over people who she was kind of expected to win. They were making their debut. They didn't have a lot of experience. She'd be one fighter with a good record, but if you do any deep dive on that fighter, she had lost three fights going into that, and then the loss to Dudikova was her fourth loss in a row, which isn't great. I don't disagree with you that she could develop into something very promising. I just don't have a good read on her right now, if I'm being completely honest and transparent. At least with Maria Silva, I do feel like she has a steadier foundation if that makes any sense because she is good in the clinch she's a very physically strong fighter fights with her hands up will throw a lot of kicks see there's a foundation there that you can definitely build upon like there are other fighters out there who fight in a similar manner to that that's the problem though we have seen her struggle with some of the takedown defense and some of the grappling in the past she's not bad when she gets top position like i said really physically strong fighter she can threaten with some of those head and arm chokes herself get past guard threaten with ground and pound but on the defensive end, you do worry about her, especially against someone like Dudakova, who has shown the ability to finish fights with really high-level submissions. So I think this is one of those fights where we just sort of learn more about both fighters, and that's sort of the win that we all get from it. So if you look at it for Dudakova, training out of... I mean, listen, the gym name... I, I threw down a different gym name. I put Extreme Torque. She's in Vegas getting ready for this one. But she trains out of a gym called Sambo 34. Like Mambo number five, but Sambo 34 with Gasanali, Gasanali. So against this Telenunez, Victoria Dudakova runs in. There's a little bit of an exchange. Now you're taking on an accredited Muay Thai striker exactly. in Istelanunas. I picked Istelanunas to win that fight. And in under a minute, Dudakova goes for an ankle pick. Istelanunas slips. Like, Dudakova barely even touches her. Nunes slips onto her elbow, dislocates oh, her elbow. So gross. And it was disgusting. When I was writing my notes earlier on this morning, my wife walked by the office. She looked at my face and she went, why, why are you making that face? And I said, well, this lady, she dislocated her elbow. And it's really gross. And you could hear Estella Nunes shouting in pain. So it was really an odd scene. But that's what happened in the office today. So my... Ultimately, Dudakova gets a UFC win. It's a win by finish, but we don't really necessarily categorize it I as I looked at so. the fight today and went, I don't need to watch this again and just decided not to. I did, but really when it comes down to it, Matt, Virginia Fry will focus on the two and the five in the UFC because Fry was somebody, you know her for her nuclear medicine background and the, the, the jobs that she's held outside of MMA. But inside of MMA, again... Two fights against Ayaka Hamasaki, an all-time legend. A fight against Yohi Ham, who's gotten to the top of the mountain. Different promotions, maybe not so the UFC. You look at the UFC run. Kay Hansen has a loss. Loma Lukbunmi a loss. Wins over Gloria DePaula and Ashley Yoder. That was cuts. 17 have tried and uh, 9 have succeeded. And Vanessa Demopoulos a loss. Pollyanna Viana Matt. Again, Virginia Fry, 2-5 and five in the UFC. She's been favored only once. And it was in a loss by split decision to Vanessa Demopoulos, where most people had thought that Ginu Fry had won. But the last two, Elise Reed and Pollyanna Viana. Viana knocks her out pretty well cold. And then, so Fry was able to succeed in the wrestling against Elise Reed, but ultimately it was Reed striking, pulling out. When you look at this fight, though, I mean, Victoria Dudakova, she can do a little bit of the striking. She feels like a physically imposing grappler in this division. So now you kind of get iron versus iron, 7 and 0 versus 11 and 9. It seems like an easy pick from the outset. But Ginu Fry is a tricky southpaw with a good jab and a really good uh, 
straight left down the pipe. The problem is though, is she gonna be able to have that continued success for all 15 minutes? Because either Dudakova is gonna try to get her to the ground with a lot of not the greatest takedowns, if we're being honest, right? Again, to talk about Chael Sonnen for the second time in two videos. She's not gonna go in there and shoot double legs like him, but those kind of drag takedowns from the clinch could work against a fighter like Jin Fry. And even Jin Fry might decide, hey, I'm gonna shoot a takedown at some point. I don't think it's a good idea, but the majority of the fights where she has had success in the UFC, it has been the offensive wrestling. So if that's the thing that you go to to have success at this level, I do expect you to probably do it again. And I just don't know, even if she's able to secure that top position, can she consider consistently grapple for long enough to get away because if she doesn't make a bunch of mistakes right then maybe she can hold out for the rest of the round win that round with top position but Dudikova is tricky off her back and she's gonna go for maybe not just uh, submissions but scrambles as well and anything that can create space between these two is going to help favor Dudikova during any single ground exchange. It's, it's a little bit like TJ Brown, Darren Elkins, and to a lesser extent Christian Rodriguez versus Cameron Simon that we had last weekend but when you look at this one Matt, Dudikova heavily favored in the matchup. Yeah. We have looked at the topology votes surprise to us as they are to you i'm gonna say over under 92 and a half percent due to kova uh they're high but i'll say higher it is higher 1244 total votes 97 percent due to kova 52 percent by decision 28 percent by submission for the three percent that have genuine fry wow 73 percent by decision my to me i think due to kova wins a decision but i don't think she wins all three rounds and i think it's going to be a lot closer than the odds would suggest so i do have due dakota due to kova in the matchup again if you go back and watch that contender series fight like we mentioned it's maria silva there was a window in there for silva to come back and it wasn't like due to kova fought the best and the brightest yeah. when she's spent her time outside of the UFC so a tough test at 11-9 but I do have Dudakova here. I've also got her in the matchup. The thing about Fry is again the thing that gives her the most success at this level is probably going to put her in the most danger especially in this matchup and I think Dudakova is going to be able to threaten enough off of her back to not just be a sitting duck and get stuck in some of those Louis Smolka positions as we used to allude to so I have Dudakova in this fight but it should be a fun one. Degrees in nuclear medicine and radi radiological sciences as I wear a shirt that says Lake Erie College of uh what is that? Osteopathic medicine? I apologize. Osteopathic? Osteopathic. It's hard to read upside down sometimes. Matt, a big time match. Both of us going with Dudakova here. Title fight up at the top. Rematch? You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fighting Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. You beat a big name, you get a big name. Debuting back in June, it was the Hillman out of Tajikistan. Mohamed Naimov gets that second round knockout win over Jamie Mullerke. And with a little bit of clink clink in your pocket, 50k, Naimov now gets moved down into his natural weight class of featherweight to take on the forever prospect. He's 30 years old. He's got what? like over 20 fights and he's still considered a prospect the man is nathaniel wood matt this is a big time fight when you look at it for muhammad and naimov we had a lot of things to say before his debut against jamie malarkey none of them negative but what a giant win he was able to get there let's have a look at muhammad naimov I mean, muhammad naimov his entire pro career spent at featherweight the last time he competed at lightweight it was a one-off in his amateur career and he weighed a juicy 151.5 so Muhammad Naimov not necessarily the biggest guy that you know but you should know about him because back when he was competing in Taekwondo pure Taekwondo the 17 16 year old class at 69 kgs he plays first in the entire world and if you're an MMA fan you know the Taekwondo based fighters that made it really high up on the overall scale of things Anthony Pettis a champ Benson Henderson a champ Matt's favorite fighter, James Muntasri, fifth degree black. Shout out. 
Taekwondo and Chris Barnett as well. He has a Taekwondo base, but Matt, I found it really interesting. I mean, when you draw parallels out of Naimov's game to a guy like Guram Kutataladze, a lot of big combinations in the pocket, a really, really streaky right cross that Naimov will throw. He was able to drop Murad in his Titan FC fight after he was on Dana White's contender series. And we'll talk all about that contender series fight, but I really did have a lot of fun watching the tape. I think a lot of people are going to pick apart Naimov's record because overall, if you add everything up, combined pro opponent record 40, 22 and two, that's not that bad. But if you take away the Colin Anglin fight, which was a loss, and you take away the Olivier Murad uh, loss, who ended up on Contender Series and won a fight himself, it's actually 29-21-2. So it's not really the greatest. His last win, a 34-second knockout over a 4-3 and fighter in Dylan Schultz. And in that one, he lands an Emily Ducati over Danielle Taylor head kick, and then he finishes it up with ground and pound. This guy's a really impressive fighter. Um, what did you make of the tape when you went back and watched some stuff from either Muhammad Naimov or, as you might see it out there on the websites, Muhammad John Naimov? Always Naimov, you know, I'll just stick with that. Now, for Naimov, and this is my separate point, I think there could be two versions of him in the UFC because if you watch him based on some of the offense he is able to land, he could be a really good offensive fighter if he's able to still continue to make progressions throughout kind of his 28, 29 age 30 seasons, if you will, to put it into baseball terms. But for Naimov, I like how heavy he is when he is able to get into some of those top positions. We have seen some wrestling, and I do like the striking, but this is my only critique I would have with his striking. I'm curious if you came away with the same thing. His hands, good. His kicks are good. But he's not a fighter who's going to throw a bunch of boxing combinations that are all that fluid and then use the kicks. He's someone who will throw hands and then throw kicks and let's blend the two together. If he was able to blend the two together a little more, I think I would find him, you know, at least finding more areas to land offense in this fight. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the thing. If you go back and you watch Naima fights, where does he excel? It's in that tie clinch, which I know I talked about him being the Taekwondo fighter, but when he gets the tie clinch, he lands big elbows. He lands big, dirty boxing combinations, huge knees to the body. And if you do consider it when he's out at space, it's all the way in, it's all the way out. Is it going to be boxing? Is it going to be the kicks? But the thing that I looked at, like he has all the pieces. I mean, his takedown defense is obviously his detriment. You saw that in the Colin Anglin fight, the 10 8 third round that he was up against in that one. He was a minus 300 favorite in that fight against Anglin. Anglin a plus 250, just like his countryman Muin Gafrov, who's on this card. He was a minus 450 over Chad and Helliger. Both guys losing. But if you do consider it, I mean, takedown defense will cost Naimov. When he's a better grappler, he will go for takedowns. When he gets hit on the feet and he got hit hard in that Anglin fight in the third round, he started shooting some panic takedowns, got them defended. He, If he's better than you on the ground, he's going to beat you. But if he's not as good as you on the ground, well, then, yeah, that's where we can see some deficiencies. And when it, come to his, when it came to his striking defense, too, it's a little bit piecemeal. Like, he, he moves his hands quite a bit. He, he blocks really well. But when he's blocking, he doesn't move his head or he's exactly. moving his head on the outside and then his feet stay planted to then throw some more offense and counter. So it it's great. And he is a very, very fun striker. I know we talked about Moen Gafarov and his last win was that spinning heel kick within a phone booth. But you look at the kicks, you look at the the overall striking prowess of a guy like uh, Naimov. He is a lot of fun. And even back when he had his last lightweight fight, that was with a promotion called Real MMA in Las Vegas in 2017. Even though that's his last experience at lightweight, the main event of that card, MMA media member Rodney James Edgar of combat press wow. fighting UFC welterweight now 
Joshua Quinlan. So crazy to see guys coming from the regional scene ending up in the UFC. I mean, the other thing for Naimov, you will see it out there representing Elevation MMA. He had Corey Sandhagen in his corner against uh, Murad in that fight. So out on Monday night of the fight week was Guram Tataladze. Muhammad Naimov takes that fight on really short notice. All three judges scorecards. Malarkey wins the first round. Well, Malarkey's pressuring in the second round. Bit down on his mouthpiece. Ate a crazy shot. Naimov on top. Finishes up with a ground and pound. Gets the win. And he's a really interesting case because he was the fourth fighter out of Tajikistan that debuted this year. We also have the other fighter out of Tajikistan on this card, or one of four, being Muin Gafurov, a little bit higher up. When you look at Naimov and what he was able to do in that fight against Malarkey, you knew he had the power. You knew the wrestling chops could come into play, whether for better or for worse, like you saw against Colin Anglin, as we said. When you look at it for Naimov, now he's taking on the former Bantamweight champ over the Cage Warriors. And if you look at it for Nathaniel Wood, 7-2 in the UFC, you remember the fight of the night loss against Casey Kenny, the knockout loss to John Dodson. But for Wood, this move up to 145, it's been very, very interesting. Again, second fight for him in 2023. He dropped Andre Feely. Well... He got dropped by Andre Feely, and we mentioned it before the Feely fight. It feels like Wood left a piece of him with Cage Warriors, but he gets into some slobber knockers in his own. And when he moved up to 145, I figured, hey, what are the two big holes in his game, right? He can tire, but he throws a lot of volume, and we've seen him get hit and cracked by big shots. So I assume moving up 10 pounds in weight class was at least going to help him deal with both of those issues, but... It really has only helped him in one of them, and I'm glad that you kind of started it that way, because we have seen him get hurt and rocked at 145, and that's what does concern me in this matchup against Naimov. I was trying to think of an NBA comp for Nathaniel Wood, and to me it's Julius Randle. Every time you believe in Julius Randle, he'll just start to play really bad and like shoot threes, and you're like, what are you doing, Julius? Just like go to the rim, you're big and strong. And Nathaniel Wood, every time it does look like he's coasting to an easy 10-9 round, right? It's getting to the end of it, there's like 30 seconds left. He'll have that weird lapse of judgment that does help his opponent get back into the fight, and it's really happened throughout his career, and that's what worries me in a matchup like this, because I do think Nathaniel Wood's probably the faster fighter in this matchup. For all the negatives about him, he's a very accurate fighter, he throws a very nice output. When he's able to get dirty, and that's the problem with Nathaniel Wood, fighting style at this stage of his career when he gets dirty he can screw his opponents up when he gets the elbows involved the uppercuts like, that's all great his but the problem is that puts him in the direct line of fire of his opponent and if Naimov's able to crack him with some of those hooks on the exits he could easily put Nathaniel Wood out when you saw it out of Wood against Feely you saw the jab and then the overhand right right behind it but when he, Feely was able to close the distance in the second round left hook wobbles Wood he gets into a tie clinch the knees from Feely they drop Wood down and then Wood shows really good resolve to win that third third round but it really is a tricky fight especially when you consider the lines on a lot of these throughout the card and it's something that we don't touch on all that often but Nathaniel Wood is a three to one favorite in this one so that might be a little bit of a surprise to some folks you can see him over on his Instagram Great Britain top team he's been a staple over there the man in the hat not Chuck Mendenhall one punch Brad Pickett, but you see him over there with boxing coach Barry putting in the work, throwing those hooks. Naimov, the underdog in this one. We have a look at the top all votes, Matt. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 75% Nathaniel Wood. I think they're going to be over. Those fans. I, you know what? It's close, but I mean, 1,176 total votes, 82% Wood, 85% by decision. For the 18% that I have Naimov, 39% by decision, 49% by knockout. A lot of people may be swayed by the knockout that you saw out of Naimov his last time out against Jamie Mullerkey. I can see Naimov struggling a little bit with the pressure of Wood, with the volume of Wood, with maybe even the wrestling attack of Nathaniel Wood. But for Na Naimov, you know the power's there. You know his resolve. But again, I... I 
have this bad thing and in, in bad taste in my mind of 10-8 third round against Colin Anglin. That, that one's always going to stay there, even with the crazy knockout that he got his last time out. So for me in this one, I do have Nathaniel Wood, but this should be a really, really interesting fight. And obviously a great chance to kind of seed yourself in the division of featherweight for Muhammad Naima. Oh, he gets to jump the line if he beats Nathaniel Wood. That's a big name to have on your resume. And I think... This is how I look at the fight. I think Nathaniel Wood's going to win the fight until he doesn't. Uh, he's more likely to win by decision. He's probably, he can win by knockout. He can win by submission. But at any point throughout the fight, because I think there is enough of a body of work at this point to say, hey, Nathaniel Wood, when he gets hit by big shots, can be susceptible to going down. And Naimov has legitimate power. I know Jimmy mullerke has been knocked out a few times at this stage of his career, but Nathaniel Wood has some question marks surrounding his durability. So I've got Wood in the matchup, but this should be a really fun fight. Both guys with bonuses in their debuts, Matt. People remember Nathaniel Woods against uh, what Nova Unyao's own Johnny Eduardo a guy who made three UFC video games but in this one both of us going with a forever prospect Nathaniel Wood to get the win some big time fights in this card Matt the next one Money Mike Breeden taking Ooh. on Anshul Jubilee the road to UFC winner you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fighting Apex we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. A lightweight showcase coming up this weekend. It's Money Mike Breeden. His last time out, like Moneymaker Mike, he went out there and got outstruck 30-1 to and knocked out in the first round by Terrence McKinney. That was a short notice call. This time, the man representing Marathon MMA coming in on a three-fight losing streak, much more nail than hammer, to take on the King of Lions. Road to UFC winner at lightweight Anshul Jubilee. Not only did Jubilee get a UFC contract when he fought in the road to UFC finals, he also got a performance bonus with his win over noted striker Jekka Saragi. And Matt, for Anshul Jubilee, a great big opportunity. Consider fighters out of India in the UFC. I know folks from that country aren't big fans of folks from our country right now. However, you have Anshul Jubilee and Bharat Kandari. Those are the few, and of course, one that really kind of mixes it up together a fighter that ended up as a one championship champion who is that fighter matt uh arjan buller arjan buller couldn't really do it at the highest level in the ufc but that's neither here nor there the last time i did a video for a mike breeden fight i was loading a kayak onto the back of the subi as we say in the biz as granolas and mike breeden went out there Got the tar beaten out of him. So now he gets a big time opportunity to remix to Ignition, as I said. But for Mike Breeden, that fight was back in the middle of August. So kind of a quick draw to get back into it. The knees, the bodywork of Terrence McKinney were really the difference makers. We had a lot to say about the King of Lions before his road UFC fight. Let's throw it on over to the Anshul Jubilee Anshul Jubilee is the runaway like favorite of the season in terms of the fans. Everybody seems to absolutely love him. They think he's going to win this fight. They're going to criticize us if we don't pick him in this one. But I know there's a lot of fan support from the guy who was able to make his mark over with Matrix Fight Series. And for Anshul Jubilee, you look at his fighting style, very, very well-rounded. You might look at him and you think, geez, this guy's six feet tall. He's a lightweight. He's at a reach discrepancy against most guys because he's only got a 69-inch reach. But he makes the most of it with car crash striking pretty decent offensive wrestling and he can turn a lot of his opponents takedown attempts into his own takedowns with his upper body strength and then he can really really wear on them when it's on the ground and for Anshul Ghibli if you look at the way that he does grapple once it hits the mat 
He's not like a Gary Tonin. He's not like a Ryan Hall. He's not going to go out there and try and snatch up in the world. snatch up your legs. He's going to go out there, try and go for arm triangles. He's going to try and maneuver his way to get your arms to get in like a Kimura lock or, or maybe it's an Americana. But for Jubilee, what I found when I went back and I watched a lot of the tape, I listened to his interviews. He's 6-0 and as a pro. He also claims to be 13-0 and as an amateur. So win here would be his 20th straight MMA win. And I listened to an interview he did a while ago with JHK where he said his base in MMA it's street fighting it's like he's Kimbo Slice so Anshul Jubilee representing Soma Fight Club in Indonesia so Indonesia will actually have an opportunity to say hey we've got a UFC fighter no matter who wins this what I really like about him is he's got a good jab from the outside I know he doesn't have the longest arms in the world you're right he is kind of a unique build that way but on the outside he can throw a lot of volume at a guy and I do appreciate that from a younger fighter because a lot of fighters have a lot of talent but they don't have the volume to go along with that talent and that's why they can lose fights early on in their career they're just not active enough they can get behind in the scorecard especially with takedowns and whatnot with Jubilee I do like the fact that he can go out there and use the jab when he has to now he does enjoy those car crash strikes it's one of those things where he technical until he gets hit a couple of times then he'll start to go into a brawl but I do like the technical version of him although we don't always see it I do think there's a fighter in there that can string some success together with that type of a style it'll just be very interesting to see if he uses that kind of a style in this match again the fans love Jubilee but we'll kind of criticize it a little bit and then we'll bring it back I thought he looked good in the last fight even though it was a split yeah he fought Kyungpyo Kim over in the semifinals of Road to UFC he didn't fight in the quarterfinals because his opponent Show Patrick Usami wasn't able to make the weight. So he fights Kyungpo Kim, and in that first round, he drops him with the left hook. He had really good leg kicks. He could utilize some of that. Again, offensive and defensive wrestling. I, I think his wrestling, it'll get him caught against really good lightweights, but against very poor lightweights, it'll definitely be a way to win. But the level of competition that Jubilee fought on the regional scene with Matrix Fight Night, because that's where all of his pro fights were, was bad. It was really, really bad. Like he fought uh, Mohammed. Mamudian, and in that fight, Mamudian looked like he jumped up a weight class. He didn't look like he was in shape. He looked really tired. He went for his own takedown, and then Jubilee just trips him, lands beat on top, yeah. and beat him quite easily. His fight against uh, Serkant Sekar, who was 5-4, and four, it's a decision win on his record. He beat him pillar to post in every single aspect of the fight. He knocks out uh, Rajith Chadron. Like, can we say this though? When you're two and zero, you should probably fight other guys who are in that two and zero. I know he hasn't fought the highest level of prospects, but that's the thing. If you just look at a split decision win his last time out, you're probably not that impressed. But I thought Kim was a really talented fighter. Like that was yes, a good yep. fight between those two guys. And I thought Jubilee was able to win the first round. I thought he was able to win the second. The third it got a little hairy for him, but I thought that was a good fight between those two guys. That's, that was an interesting one leading up to this matchup. That's kind of the crazy thing. So Rejubli in the one fight that was on road to UFC definitely won the first round. Had the knockdown. Round two and round three. Two of the judges scored round two for Kim and two of the judges scored round three for Kim. But that doesn't always work out because it ended up a split decision and you had some dissenting rounds. And it really was all striking uh, for Saragi versus the pure grappling of Jubilee. Jubilee spent a large portion of that fight on top and he was able to rain down really good ground and pound. So this fight, Matt, when it does come down to it, it's a clash of styles. If Morgan Wallen had his way... Tonight, I'm going F-150-50, and it feels a little bit like that fight where Mike Breeden, you know him as a boxer, Anshul Jubilee, small reach, small arms for a taller guy, but overall, a clash of styles, and you, yes, you, 
have been pretty complimentary to Mike Breeden in some of these videos. Just considering the resolve he was able to show at the end of the Natan Levy fight and some of the fights that he had had coming into the UFC. But I think the Levy fight is a great one to bring up, especially in a matchup like this. Because yes, he was able to start making it more competitive during the or down the stretch of that matchup. He got taken down nine times in that fight, though. And, and not that Jubilee is the same type of grappler that a Levy is. I think he is a lot more active from the top spot, honestly, than a guy like Natan Levy. But Braden showed that that is a big difficulty for him, is that really not just takedown defense, because Braden can defend some basic takedowns. He's a long, kind of rangy guy for the division. He does a good job digging underhooks. But the thing is, if you stick to them, if you get him against the cage, you chain wrestle. Well, Mike Breeden even getting ready for the Terrence McKinney fight, this is my talking point in that video, was, okay, Breeden trains with Garrett Armfield and Trey Ogden at Marathon MMA. But Mike Breeden is not Garrett Armfield or Trey No, Ogden. he's not. And I just don't know if his takedown defense is going to be good enough to keep up with Anshul Jubilee. And just the good athleticism that he brings into the cage. He does a good job of closing the distance and getting in on those hips. And that's going to eliminate the opportunity for Breeden to land some of those counters out the middle. Now, again, going a little bit zig to a zag in this video, Anshul Jubilee is about a 4-1 to favorite. He shouldn't be a 4-1 to favorite over somebody's great uncle that's in a nursing home. Anshul sure, Jubilee... I don't think he's a very good fighter. When I went back and watched the regional scene tape, it was against some less than stellar competition. Jekka Saragi going into that fight, you knew that his takedown defense was poor. Ghibli was able to pull away. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us, ARDU. I'm going to say over under 85% Ghibli. It feels like a setup fight. I hope it's under 85%. It's, oh my gosh, 1,184 total votes, 96% Jubilee, 67% by knockout. For the 4% that I've breeden, 40% by decision, 38% by knockout. Again, Jubilee striking defense, little bit suspect. So Mike Breeden's able to go out there, land those good boxing combinations that you saw on the way up. You could see him getting a win. This feels like, obviously, major upset territory by odds and by what the fans think. Obviously, I do like that grappling pedigree out of Anshul Ghibli, Soma Fight Club down in Indonesia. A little bit of a closer-to-home type of fight for him, so to speak, or at least geographically fighting from, uh, or coming from India, fighting over in UAE versus fighting over in North America. So for me, I do have Anshul Ghibli in the matchup, but this doesn't feel like the easiest of fights. It's the Simon and Garfunkel Mad World type of a fight, right? Because it's weird that he's such a big favorite. I say this every single fight card where you have somebody making their debut or their sophomore effort and they just so happen to be like a minus 450. I know like Muhammad Makayev is a good example because he's on this card. He has been a big favorite in the majority of his matchups. But guess what? He's going out there and looking pretty good in, in the majority of those fights. I know that knee bar almost took him out. But still, for Makayev, he's gone out there and he's been able to justify the odds, right? I just don't know if Jubilee up until this point, even against a guy on a three-fight losing streak, justifies the fact that he's a minus 400. Still have him in the fight, but I, I don't think you should put any money on him. You call it pop and popcorn. Exactly. You sit there, you watch this one with your buddies, and then you move forward. Matt, some big-time fights on this card. You're not going to want to miss them. The next one up, Matt... Ooh, boy. How about Cedricus Dumas taking on Abu Azaitzer? A big fight. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. Middleweight wildcard set to meet in Abu Dhabi coming up this weekend. It's a pot and popcorn special. You have the Reaper, Cedricus Dumas, looking to bring that first UFC win into the octagon to challenge against Captain Morocco noted restaurateur Abu Azaitsar Matt for Abu Azaitsar he's 37 he's closer yeah. to 38 he's been away for two and a half years he did score that big time win over Vitor Miranda a guy with a pretty cool nickname in his UFC debut did Azaitsar he then took 
a long time off the stretch due to a 2021 USADA suspension. 2020 to 2021 suspension there. He was able to overcome it. He took on one Marc-Andre Berrio out of our native Canada. And in that fight, Zaitzer looking pretty good in the first round. It was close. He looking pretty good in the second though. round. But in the third round... He had nothing oh. left, and he looked absolutely awful. He ends up losing that matchup, Matt. So for Abu Zaitzer coming in here, what do you know about Zaitzer? What do we all know about him? Well, he is a Muay Thai artist to the nth power. degree. If you look at it and you just try and quantify it, he was a Muay Thai champ in his native Germany. He was a K1 champ in Belgium, France, and Germany. And you can go back and watch some of those Zaitzer K1 fights. I know I did for this one. They were very sloppy, and he threw the kitchen sink at his opponents. And you well, watch... He lands, though, my Again, God. I watch these Muay Thai fights of Shara Magomedov getting ready for this card, and it's like, okay, he does some rolling thunders and some spinning head kicks to where he slips. But Abu Zaitzar, it's like they took margarine, put it on the canvas, and then said, hey, guys, go at it. Because it was a lot of slipping. It was a lot of spinning stuff that didn't land. So, Matt, again, the fight tape on these two guys is interesting because Cedricos Dumas, he utilized that length, that reach against a lot of his opponents... But by the jeepers, does he leave himself out there to get countered? And that's what I worry about if you like Dumas in this fight. If you like either one of these guys in this fight, you know how good their striking is, but the grappling defense not that good. And that's the thing about both of them. And you saw it out of Dumas' last time out. He took on Cody Brundage, who took the fight on short notice, who had success in the first round. But as it wore on, Brundage was gassed. And Dumas was able to defend some of the takedowns, work in his own striking. For Abu Zaitsar, I went back and I watched some of the World Series fights because he's competed with KSW, World Series, the UFC, some of the bigger promotions that are out there. But again, for Zaitsar, I watched the fight against Danny Davis Jr., Sounds like a country singer from the 50s. Uh, Zaitzer won that fight. I thought Danny Davis Jr. won that fight pretty handily. So, again, Zaitzer struggled in the grappling to a guy like Davis in the matchup. Zaitzer pre-UFC had fights against Martin Zavada, you know him, and a 34-second knockout against Jack Marshman that really happened. So, again, Zaitzer, it's a lot of big bursts to move forward in his strikes. He's pretty darn accurate when he's moving down the center. Dumas, a lot of power on the outside. And you can see in Dumas's camp for this one, training with a lot of wrestlers to try and counter some of the offensive that we're going to see out of some opponents, like he saw in his debut when he was about a 2-1 to favorite against Josh Frem. So, I know you're amped up about this fight, but it feels well, like a weird trap card. It is a weird fight, because you bring up the Miranda fight, and that was a nice win for Abu, but he still did get taken down a few times in that matchup, and that's what concerns you, because that is such an Achilles heel during his style, because not only can he be so aggressive that it gets him taken down, A, it's just his pure takedown defense is not phenomenal, and you bring it up too, he can slip, which when you have bad takedown defense and poor grappling, like, what are we doing here? To quote one of the great MMA minds of all time, which is for Abu Zaitar, I, I worry that the third round against Makanthai Barrio is a round that not only other fighters can capitalize on, it kind of tells you what you can do to that fighter. Because if you just watch that third round, you think Power Bear is one of the great fighters of our time. You really do. He made Zaitar not give up, but he definitely took him into the deep waters. It's, it's let's like say. Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya, who's the third greatest middleweight of all it time? It might be Power Bear. But that's the problem about Abu. I worry about him in the second and third round if he's not even going to land some of those bigger blitzes early. Because Dumas does have more of a style to where he can sit on the outside and use some of those ranges at his disposal. I like his jab a lot in this fight too because if he is able to use the jab to halt some of that forward movement from Abu, it's going to make it a lot easier to deal with those blitzes and I think it's going to make the blitzes less frequent as this fight continues. So it's a volatile fight for both fighters because I think either guy could win via first round knockout to be completely honest with you. Abu leaves enough holes in his game for Dumas 
to land a big counter shot. And on the flip side, he also has enough power that if he lands one of those shots, it could finish it. But that's what makes it so difficult to pick, just because either guy could land that one huge shot during an exchange that completely changed the complexion of the it's fight. It's going to be a weird look when these two guys square off. 5-9 to 6-2. You see the reaches from both guys. You know his Aitzer has those long arms. That's what helps him when he kind of tucks his chin and just moves he forward does. with a lot of those big shots. He lands quite well. And obviously for his Aitzer, he's probably going to get a big pop out of the crowd. You remember back in September, that horrific earthquake that took place in Morocco. And not soon after, Nasrat Hakpras getting a big time win and throwing a lot of support out that way. So a good opportunity for Zaitsev to get back in here. They're not giving him a layup in an opponent, but for Cedricus Dumas, he was originally supposed to fight Abu Zaitsev in his UFC debut back in March. Zaitsev out, in steps Josh Fremd, and the rest is history. So a big opportunity for Abu Zaitsev in this one. He is the underdog to the favorite that is Cedricus Dumas. I have no idea what the fans are going to think in this one. So I'm going to think that they're they're wilding out a little bit this week. I'm going to say over under 75% Dumas. I think here. they'll be under. I think they're going to be under. They're over. 1,231 total votes. 80% Dumas. 59% by decision. 30% by knockout. For the 20% that have a Zaitar, uh, 52% by decision. 31% by knockout. I think we get a finish in this fight. But the more I did tape study, the more it clouded my mind as to who I was going to pick. It's a tough one to predict. I have Dumas, but I'm not... 100% convinced, to be honest, and I think a lot of it does come down to the time off for Abu Zaitsev. It's just been a while since he's been in there, because that's the thing, you think about it, oh, that power bar fight was not that long ago, it was over two years ago. It was so, two and a half years ago. Exactly, so I do worry about him accepting some of those early shots from Dumas, just because it's been a while for him to eat them, so I've got Dumas, I think the straight shots stay in the middle, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this ended inside the decision, though, and I think if it was a fight where Abu had fought, you know, four months ago and looked pretty good, maybe I would pick him in the matchup, because it is that close. I'm to pick Abu Zaitsev. The reason why? I like his body work that he does in his fights. He does a lot of body work and he will throw out those leg kicks out there and I think those are going to be shots that are going to keep Dumas guessing and that's where Zaitsev can pick off. So Matt, we look at this one. We're tied on the year as far as the picks are concerned. I'm going with the returning old gritty underdog in Abu Zaitsev. You're going with the young buck who got the win on Contender Series last summer in Cedricus Dumas. Let us know who you have down below in this matchup. It could be a question mark kicks special here for Saturday, so make sure you tune into the show for that. You are going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. Fiery Bantamweights on the cusp of the ranking. Squaring off this weekend in Abu Dhabi, we have the Snow Leopard, Javid Bashrat, taking on La Mangosta, Victor Henry, and I got a level with everybody here. This is probably my one of my favorite fights on it's this a good card. One. This is an all-timer. If you like Christian Rodriguez, Cameron Simon, last weekend, you're going to like this fight. Javid Bashrat's one of those guys, and you knew when he was facing competition in England, it wasn't really the best of guys, but he's beating them in ways that really did impress him. For Victor Henry, this is one of those guys that was... That ruined some, some guys sitting there smoking the dank herb, and I just ruined his night. But for Victor Henry, he was knocking on the door of the UFC for the longest time. Henry with a win over Kyler Phillips he outside of the traveled. UFC, with a win over Anderson Dos Santos that ended up in the UFC. And of course, you remember him for his time over with Ryzen and Deep Jewels getting wins over Trent Gurdum, Masanori Kanehara, Denis Lavrentiev, and the like. Y Yuki Matoya as well. Some big names over there in Japan. And Victor Henry being that 
that, not unknown, but being that American traveling over to Asia to get wins over guys that maybe you didn't expect him to, that really is a feather in his cap. Now, against Lavrentiev, 1-1, so it is what it is. But for Victor Henry, the win over Albert Morales by finish, the UFC vet over with LXF, got him a fight against Howney Barcelos as a big underdog. And boy, oh boy, was he able to cash out there. So Matt, this really is the story of why did Craig Allen wear a long snappers practice jersey on the video? It's because some of these big time long shot underdogs will have a good shot. And when you look at Victor Henry in the UFC, the win over Howney Barcelos, a loss to a good boxer in Rafael well, Asensio. That's what that a win fight. over Howney does to you, right? And you're going to get a difficult fight and, the next time. And then a really, really close fight where he's able to get the win over Tony Gravely and send him happy trails packing outside of the UFC. Really, both these guys with wins over Tony Gravely. A guy who I wish was still in the UFC. I like Tony Gravely fights. But Matt, for Jabid Boshrat, again, this is a guy that you knew from more common ways where he gets that win over Oron Kalon, who, of course, missed the weight talk big smack before that fight and and he had to eat it i went over trevin jones tony gravely and then his last time out mateus mendonza who poured it on in that first round against boshrat i think this is going to be a really good fight of who's going to be advancing party and if it is victor henry i've answered my question can jibid boshrat do enough moving laterally and on the back foot to beat victor henry here you know what I'm about to say about Jabir Basharat. When are we going to see a finish in the UFC? That's true. He has all the skills in the world. He really does. He is a great striker. And like you say, the question has to be asked because he can strike moving backwards. He can move left to right. He is that talented of a striker on just with his movement in general, really, to where, okay, that's all great. But if you really are this minus, you know, 425 favorite against Victor Henry, who's been there and done that then it would be nice to, at some point in your UFC tenure, at least go out there and really start putting it on people. Because Basharat, to me, just fights at a very consistent pace. And I think it speaks to you mentioning that he can get a little flustered at moments during fights because he likes to just maintain his pace, kind of in that Luka way, if you will, right? Luka Dantich doesn't run really fast, doesn't jump really high. He just plays at his pace the whole entire game. And for Javid Basharat, when he's able to fight at his own pace and implement his combinations, throw the knees up the middle, really get his lower half involved in the fight, then he can be a really talented striker. But that that's what I worry about in this fight and why I think this fight is so much fun. Victor Henry's the guy who's going to be in your face for all 15 minutes and he's an active guy, not only with the takedowns, but with his striking as well. And I do wonder, can Javid Basharat not match him with the pace? Because I don't think at the end of this fight, if it does go to a decision, that Javid Basharat's going to have, you know, 70 more significant strikes. Maybe, no. he, maybe he does just, you know, he's able to hurt him a couple of times, land a lot of grand and pound shots, but he's going to make sure the strikes that he does land are significant enough to make up for the fact that Victor Henry is going to be in his face for the whole thing. And that's why even if he doesn't get a finish in this fight, and that's something I've been harping on since the beginning, it might not be a bad thing, because I think we would learn a lot about Basharat and getting a decision win over Henry, because it's going to prove that his pace is good enough to beat maybe not elite fighters, because Victor Henry's not elite elite, but really talented fighters who are very well-rounded. The craziest thing about this, and again, these two guys limited in UFC experience for sure. For Victor Henry, 2-1 and one in the UFC, a champion in other major organizations exactly. on the way in. For Javid Basharat, he has only had the three fights as well. He is 3-0. He's undefeated as a pro. And of course, he touched on it. The finishes outside of the UFC against less than stellar guys. Now he needs to up it as it goes on. Usually that's a talking point that the, the broadcast will bring in too. But, but if I could, Basharat, the one thing about him that I do like, it, we don't have the question marks about the third round cardio, right? It's no. not like, hey, he throws a crazy pace round one and two and then we have those question marks. At least we know, hey, for 15 minutes, he's pretty steady. He's got really good footwork no matter which way he's trying to 
go. For Victor Henry, he's a lot better when he is rolling and moving forward, but that could be afforded to him against a guy like Bashrat that will fight on the retreat. Exactly. And when you look at it just by the numbers, three fights each, Victor Henry lands on average three more significant strikes a minute compared to Javid Bashrat. It's like 8.67 to 5.64 in favor of Henry, but Javid Bashrat getting hit at about just over two strikes per minute, 66% strike defense. Only three fights... But that's pretty darn good for Boshrat. He's a massive favorite in this fight. We have a look at the top all votes, Matt. Surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 77.5% Boshrat. I think it's going to be like the 90s for him. Oh my. 1,204 total votes, 95% Boshrat, 78% by decision for the 5% that of Henry, 77% by decision. Matt, who do you have in the fight? I have Javid Bashra because I think the knees at the middle are going to be really important. I bring up the Cowboys Cerrone Eddie Alvarez fight probably too often if we're being honest, but it's a fight that does show if you can land great knees at the middle, it does not only take the gas out of your opponent, keeps them from shooting takedowns, and they are damaging shots, and I think Bashra is going to be able to use some of those check knees at the middle to halt some of the forward pressure of Victor Henry. It's not going to make him fight like a different fighter, he's not going to turn into Uriah Hall and just be on the retreat the whole time, but it's going to eliminate some of the positives he brings into the cage, and for those reasons I have Bashra. I want to take Victor Henry. We're tied on the year as far as picks are concerned. And I don't let that come into play just until the end of the year. I want to take Victor Henry. I'm not. I'm going to take Javid Boshrod in this one. But I'm going to kick myself if Victor Henry wins. I'll put it that way. I'm going with Javid Boshrod in the fight. I think for the reasons that you mentioned, and again, Victor Henry can walk himself into some of these he shots can, as yeah. well. His strike defense can struggle against some of those upper echelon guys. Tony Gravely was able to hit him with some of those really big hooks that he has. And for Victor Henry, again, if he's constantly having to defend some of those body shots, it brings his hands down that much more and it opens up the game with Javid Boshrod. So again, I'm on the fence with this one. I was going to take Victor Henry as a sexy underdog, but both of us in the fight going with Javid Boshra to get the win. Please let us know on these ones who you have down below in the comment section. Does Boshra fight a ranked fighter if he wins this? Yeah, I think I either guy. Either guy True. with a win gets to fight a ranked opponent next. Maybe maybe if it's not a ranked opponent, it's Cody Garbrandt, even though Boshra's been be training one, with yeah. Cody Garbrandt at Extreme Tour. But again, some breadcrumbs for the next one. Some big time fights in this card, Matt, that people are not going to want to miss. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's. Let's get into it. Big time debut. Expect a big time pop from the hometown crowd. We have the UAE's own first Emirati fighter in UFC history. The former UAE Warriors lightweight champ. Three times he was able to get that belt around his waist with a promotion. I'm talking about Muhammad Yaya, the man on the left side of the screen. He's going to be taking on Alabama striking native. Trevor Peak with the standing hammer fist. Matt, Trevor Peak, a guy that had a wild fight his last time out against Chepe Mariscal, who came in on short notice to make that debut up at lightweight. But Peak, we remember him for his crazy, crazy come-from-behind win over Malik Lewis over on Contender Series last year. And, of course, his win over Eric Gonzalez, where he got that standing hammer fist TKO victory. So Peak's going to bring the style to Muhammad Yaya. But the fans, they might not know Yaya. I'll tell you this. There's only been two, or there will have been two, Yaya's in the UFC. One from the United Arab Emirates, one from Brazil. Near and dear to Craig's heart. Is that little strong. grappling pocket rocket. I'm talking about Ronnie Yaya, who was supposed to fight last weekend against Alatang Hey Lee, but my guy couldn't make the walk, and it was unfortunate. But Matt, 
For Muhammad Yaya, going back through and watching a lot of these fights, he won the lightweight strap back in September of 2021 against Yazid Shukain. He was able to defend it twice since against a couple of opponents that weren't too bad. 5-3 and 1 Sahil Tahiri. And then, of course, sandwiched in between when he won the belt when he fought Tahiri against Moha El Jagdal. The one thing that I can tell you, and I can break these fights down all in unison, I can also say that Yaya had a couple of fights over with Bellator. Wins his first fight, tears his ACL. 2017 takes a lot of time off, 2017 to 2019. But for Yaya, this guy likes to counter-strike. He likes to back up a lot. His grappling's 50-50 with his takedown defense, takedown offense. And I've seen him get knocked down in just about every single fight. And this is where I jump in. That's what you worry about with a counter-striker who doesn't have good striking defense. Not the best synergy of skills, right? And that is the issue with Yaya in a matchup like this. Trevor Peak is going to be in his face throwing the dumbest strikes you've ever seen. And uh, it's just honest. Like, Trevor Peak doesn't really do anything in an orthodox manner. He is very unorthodox, especially with his power shots. But it's been able to work for him. Like, you don't get to 8-1 because your skill set is completely useless. But I do think the Mariscal fight at least lays the path for how other guys are going to beat him. If you have better footwork. And I think the footwork really is the most important thing of how you beat a guy like Trevor Peak because even if you have good striking defense he's gonna find his shots if you're up against the cage not moving your feet just with your hands up because that's the kind of striker he is but if you get your back off the cage circle around counter strike and just pitter patter with some good shots up the middle you're going to neutralize a lot of his style but that's what i worry about in a matchup like this from what i saw out of yaya he does not have the greatest striking defense moving backwards if he gets caught up against the cage against a guy like trevor peak who listen are you ever confident in trevor peak when you pick him i, I don't think so just yes the power's great he's a fun guy to watch he's like listening to pitbull in the car you don't want to admit Never. You, you don't want to admit you know the words to most of the songs but they're kind of good i'm kind of here for some pitbull tracks i'm not gonna lie and that's what trevor peak is you don't look at him and think hey we're gonna teach the next version of the up-and-comers how to fight like trevor peak but it's his style is very fan friendly for me it's a little bit of that mark mcgrath and the boys from the early 2000s every morning there's a halo who has a four-post bed? What is this? The movies, Mark McGrath? I know it's not mine, but I'll see if I can... <laughs> but when you look at Mohamed Yaya, Matt, going back and watching the fights again, his last time out against 5-3-1, and one, Suhail Tahiri weighs in at 155.9 pounds. His fight before that, 155.9. Why are we getting title fights if we don't weigh 155 pounds? And against his opponent, who was... What's uh, to Jiminy Glick? El, El Jagdal. He, his opponent, El Jagdal, had weighed in at 158, so he but missed weight in the title fight. But when you look at Mohamed Yaya, again, really tentative to start that fight in his last time out against Tahiri. He lands a big faint jab, overhand right. We talked about another fighter doing that earlier on in the card. Drops his opponent. Then Tahiri drops him with an overhand right at the end of the first round. Then in the second round, Tahiri gets into the grappling. He ends up on top at the end of the round. Then in the third round, both guys looking good. Yaya eats a big one too. I had the first round, the second round, the third round for Tahiri. And then in the third or the fourth and the fifth round, it's kind of 50-50. I guess Yaya won them. I just love the thought of you watching the fight being like third round. Looking good. Uh, 
It is such a weird fight, though, to predict. Just because Yaya has skills that if they are able to transfer to the UFC level, I can see him getting some wins. I just think this first step in the intro fight is going to be such an important one. And I know Trevor Peak's not somebody who you might rate all that highly, but it's still a pretty significant jump up from the level of competition he's been used to. There's a few big things here. For Yaya in his fight against El Dahl, he comes out southpaw instead of orthodox, and he's not really moving his head, and he's blocking a lot of the punches by putting his arms out to block them. We'll see how that works out in the UFC. Forget about the peak fight, just in the UFC. He trains and fights out of TK MMA. Coach is Tam Khan. And on the website, you see Habib Nurmagomedov, Hamzat Shamayev, and Andrew Tate. There's a lot of questionable things that people associate themselves with on this card in specific. I'll talk about that when I get to the Hamzat Shamayev fight. A lot of pictures of Ramazan Kadyrov. That's bad. But when it comes down to this fight for Trevor Peak, Matt, he did an interview with JHK All-Star MMA. And he said that, uh, listen, this is going to be his first experience outside of the United States, except during this camp, he spent about a half a day in Tijuana getting stem cells. And so JHK questioned him on the stem cells, and he said, and I quote, I've had a couple, I've had, you know, several injuries, you know, that uh, has really, really, like, you know, held me back for a while now. And uh, I'm hoping these things are going to fix me up. Yikes. So Trevor Kurt Peak, Angle won a gold medal with a broken neck. Yeah, but Trevor Peak also touched on the fact when he was talking to JHK that he was injured going into the fight against Chepe Mariscal. Couldn't really beat those demons. The last camp, he uh, just wasn't really the same. And he did a lot of swimming and a lot of running to get ready for the fight. And it was only three weeks into the fight where he got into his sparring. I was also surprised because Peak talked about it with the Goji Combatives before his last fight against Mariscal. That he had a big time 185er that he trained with to get the wrestling in. That was Torres Finney. Finney fought on Dana White's Contender Series last week, week 10, against Dana White's looking for a fight vet, a guy that they featured on that episode in Yuri Panfrov. Torres Finney finished him. 46 people from that fucking show got contracts, and Torres Finney didn't fucking get a contract. You wonder why, and this is a sidebar, there's going to be a little retirement from Fight Night Picks. I fucking hate that this many fucking people are on this stupid fucking roster and that people that deserve contracts don't get it. They swell the roster and they love having these stupid fucking Apex cards. But that's neither here nor there. Sidebar over. Matt, when I look at this fight... The odds, basically pick him. Trevor Peak swings like a wild man. I'm gonna be, I thought I was going to be right the hipster and say, oh, Trevor Peak underdog and pick him. That might kind of give away he's, where I'm going. He's favored. People have watched, see where the odds are. People watch with their eyeballs to see what Muhammad That's Yaya brings into the cage. But, again, being the hometown guy and, and getting the rub from the fans, even though Trevor Peak's fan favorite, we look at the top all votes, sidebar, well, no. Surprised us there. How you many go. sidebars do you got? I'm going to say over under 70% Peak. Uh, I'll say under. And it's under and it's the opposite. So Yaya does command that respect with the fans. 1,156 total votes, 55% Yaya, 75% have to win a decision. For the 45% that have peak, 80% by knockout. You remember Trevor Peak getting that win over Kama Worthy on the regional scene to end up on Contender Series? That's definitely a good name to have on your resume. When you look at Peak, big early first storm. And when you look at a guy like Yaya, look at his three losses, all of them by finish. And you can go back and watch his fight against Dave Collins, where. End of round one. Collins looks like he's going to get the finish. Throws a left hook, knocks him down. Second round, left hook, knocks down Yaya, then submits him. Muhammad Yaya is hittable and he gets knocked down a lot, even in the fights that he wins against less than stellar guys. But I don't have a strong read on this fight because neither one of these guys is 
blue chip caliber. I'm Trevor Peak, but saying that he's probably gonna lose like a 30-25 decision just because it's one of those weird fights where anything could happen. I'm gonna go with Trevor Peak in the fight. Uh, again, Muhammad Yahya, champ from another organization, hometown guide of UAE. But Trevor Peak swings wild and lands those big hooks. And Muhammad Yahya does not have the greatest striking defense. So again, a really tricky fight if you're trying to offer up a pick on this one. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have. Some big time fights on this card, including Hamzat Shamayev, who's going to be fighting Kamaru Usman. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. it. Grappler's Paradise coming up this weekend with the Ultimate Fighter Season 24 winner and UFC Flyweight title challenger. I'm talking about Awkward MMA and Tim Elliott. He's going to be taking on the Punisher, the top prospect out of England. It's Mohamed Makayev. And Matt Makayev, his last time out, the most adversity he's ever withstood. This is a guy 23-0 as an amateur, already 9-0 as a pro. No contest kind of trickled in there. But you look at Makayev in that third round, caught in one of the craziest knee bar submissions that you're ever going to see. It went the opposite way. And then he ends up finishing the round, getting a rear naked choke over Jafel Filio. But it did take a lot of time off of Makayev's clock so far in 2023. Had to rehab through that. You go over on Makayev's Instagram and among everything else, you can see him working a lot of his boxing to where he's taking on Tim Elliott. A guy who is hardly ever favored to win UFC fights, but listen, overall, in it all, he's 10 or 8 and 10 in the UFC run. He's got a 4 and 1 clip in his last five fights. And if you look at the last two, he's got a couple of big time wins. One over Tagiro Lombekov, where he drops him early in that one. One over Victor Altamirano. And the big thing going into the Altamirano fight was okay, Tim Elliott. Though he does get hit by a lot of strikers. He's got one of those chins that's bend but don't break. We he know did. that. Like an NBA defense. But for Elliott getting ready for his last fight, it was the first camp at a next-generation MMA in Texas with Chris and Nick Brennan. And you see how good Nick Brennan is. He just knocked out Weber Almeida, a striker, with a knee in Bellator back in August. But when you look at the Brennans, what do they do so well? It's the grappling and the wrestling and the hold them down, smother them out type. And you know Tim Elliott as being that wonky striker. You know him for working in a lot of his wrestling and winning in a lot of the scrambles. So it could carry him to a victory in this fight against Makayev. It's going to be tough, though. And you know Makayev's lineage, the IMMAF junior champion on the come-up. He started wrestling when he got into England, uh, when he landed in Wigan. He used to train, train out of Team Calbon, now out of KHK MMA. Kingdom of Bahrain, and of course, Brave CF, where he was able to get a start as a pro. This is going to be an awesome grappler's paradise. As I said, it's another tough test for Makayev on the rise up. And it's an appropriate step up in competition, I think, because for Makayev, he is one of the few 23-year-olds that we've seen have success as of late, right? There's been a lot of these early 20s prospects who haven't really shown up and showed out. And to Makayev's credit, I know you say he got caught in that knee bar and that was wild. He was able to fight through it. But for the most part, he has been much more hammered than he has been nailed throughout his UFC tenure. And I like this matchup against Tim Elliott for the reason of, what does Tim Elliott take advantage of? If you're a poor defensive grappler, have any question marks surrounding your card, then hey, Tim Elliott's probably going to take advantage of them and really start to outclass you as the fight goes down the stretch. But I wonder if he's going to have that confidence in his own takedown ability in this fight. Because I don't think Elliott's the more complete striker, don't get me wrong. But it reminds me a little bit of what I just said in the Ginyu Fry uh, victoria Dudakova fight. It's, hey, Tim Elliott's probably the better striker, right? He can go out there and use the striking to win. But how many times do we see Tim Elliott just purely strike for 15 minutes? He will mix a takedown in every now and then, even if it's against his best judgment. And this is one of those matches where even if he's able to secure that 
top pressure, I think Makayev's scramble ability is going to be uh, good enough to not just sit under a guy like Tim Elliott, who can hold out quite a bit of time in that top spot. Well, now the knee gets tested for Makayev. You get to see if you have Gumby joints, and it has been some time since that fight against Jafel Filio. Inside of the UFC for Mohamed Makayev wins over... he was active before that. Cody Durden, Charles Johnson, Malcolm Gordon, and of course, Jafel Filio. And again, if you do look at this one, where Tim Elliott's training with, I think I misspoke, but Chris Brennan and Lucas Brennan, his son, who's the uber prospect. For Elliott, positive strike differential in the UFC, almost uh, to one uh, given to, or sorry, two given to one take, and it's a .17 clip. He averages 3.88 takedowns per 15 minutes, and he has 60% takedown defense. So again, Elliott in the scrambles, you gotta watch out for him with his striking. He was southpaw, feigning the jab, left hand that he landed against Ulaanbekov, dropped him momentarily. Again, you remember that Ulaanbekov fight to where Elliott's an underdog, and he gets another win out there. And in that one, the grabbing of the gloves, that was a big talking point after the fact, but... Tim Elliott's fought on seven UFC pay-per-view cards. One of them, a main card, is UFC 167. That was GSP versus Johnny Hendricks' brother. You can't forget about that. But as an underdog in the UFC, Tim Elliott's one and six. The only win as an underdog was when Elliott beat the guy that I just mentioned, Giro Lombekov. So he is an underdog again in this one. Makayev heavily favored. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us, they are to you. I'm going to say over under... I'm going to get cute with You it. know it's going to be... 97% yeah. Makayev. I think under 97. It is. And look at that. 1,455 total votes. 87% Makayev. 39% by decision. 49% by submission. For the 13% that have Elliott. 72% by decision. So again... Tim Elliott's training with two guys that are going to get you ready for Makayev. The Brennans. Father and son, Chris and Lucas. I don't think I said... I think I said something else other than Lucas at the start of the video. But that's neither here nor there. I do think Muhammad Makayev wins this fight. And the reason why I think he wins this fight... Look at his striking on the outside. Again, I always go back to that fight with Brave against Abdel Hussein where it was crazy scrambles, crazy scrambles. And Makayev was the one that was coming out on the winning end. But against a lot of these guys to open it up, it's wild and orthodox striking, just like Tim Elliott. But I think the kicks of Muhammad Makayev are really going to carry him far in this one. So I do have Makayev in the fight. I think the kicks are a really good point to bring up. And I just think if these two guys hit each other on the mat and start grappling, I think Makayev's the stronger grappler between the two. I know Tim Elliott's a really good scrambler. He has that in his back pocket. He has great submissions. Just like that Smolka fight, right? But Tim Elliott can also get held on his back sometimes, too. And that's the other thing. He does need a little bit of movement to start getting those scrambles initiated. But he can get held down sometimes. And if he gets held down against Makayev, Makayev's going to threaten with about six submissions at once. And I think that's going to be a difficult task. Both of us going with the Punisher, Muhammad Makayev, in the matchup. Matt, some big time fights. It is just an absolutely packed main card. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Big time bantamweight action set to kick off the main card. UFC 294. We have Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Tajik out of Tajikistan. It is Muin Gafura, Matt. People are going to get excited about this fight. fight. Bantamweight, it is one of the most dynamic divisions in the UFC. And it's always fun when we do these videos. We had a fight like this not that long ago. I referenced it a couple of times. But Drew Dober, when he took on Ricky Glenda, where it was like, what? Like, topology rankings, they don't always tell the story. And for Saeed Nurmagomedov, before his last time out against Jonathan Martinez, he was fighting outside of the rankings. Nurmagomedov had a number next to his name. And he took... 
A somewhat controversial decision loss. I know it was unanimous on all three judges' scorecards, but a lot of people had thought that Nurmagomedov had done enough in the first and the second round. But regardless, for Nurmagomedov, on topology rank, their 14th bantamweight out of all of the, the promotions and everything put together. You're he's, telling me he lost the third round, Craig? He's taking on the 71st ranked bantamweight on their slide. That is Muin Gafarov. And Gafarov's one of those guys, you knew him outside of the UFC, so let's hear a little bit about Gafarov on his way. But all things considered Muin Gafurov is a known commodity for MMA fans and if you don't know well you're going to enjoy it hopefully because for Gafurov he makes his one championship debut at 19 years old against Reese McLaren loses that fight because he gets out grappled but wait Craig is Reese McLaren good so Reese McLaren wins by decision and gets a title shot off He's of that very good then Gafurov takes on Kevin Bellingon who is coming off a title shot. And he loses that fight because does he get out grappled? No, he gets out struck. Yeah. But the guy's 20 years old. Then he wins a plethora of fights. He ends up with one once more. And he loses to John Lineker, who's coming off a close loss to Corey Sandhagen in Lineker's one championship debut. So Merlin Gafrov took on a who's who over with one championship. He's taken on a who's who since. He ended up on Contender Series a couple of years ago. Takes on the Canadian Chad Ann Helliger. Loses a split decision in a fight that was... It was back and forth. You could have made an argument that Gafarov won Close two rounds. Game. You could make an argument that Ann Helliger won two rounds. But overall, Gafarov, a minus 450 favorite, he didn't win that fight. So he's got to go back and reinvent himself. He takes some time off, ends up with the LFA. Two straight finish wins. He becomes their vacant Bantamweight champ. And if you look at it in terms of the lineage of LFA Bantamweight champs, it starts with Leandro Higo, then Ricky Simone, Casey Kenny. The lineage, it's there. Zviad Lajusvili, who ended up in the UFC, but... He was a juicy boy, he was. so he couldn't be around for much longer. But Muen Gafarov is such an interesting prospect because what got him into MMA was the fact that his uncle was the president of the Combat Sambo Federation of Tajikistan. And he said, don't get into football, get into Combat Sambo. And he did, and he became a world champion, not at once, but at twice, 2013-2014. I'll throw the graphic up there because in 2013, he wins at 62 kgs. Among the winners in that tournament, Yaroslav Amosov won his division. In the second timeout, Pavel Kusha, who I'm going to talk about because he fought Abubakar Nurmagomedov, won an apartment and $3,000 cash. Matt, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen anybody win ever. No, shout out our grandfather one time at darts. He won four steaks and like some hash browns because that's what they give away at a rec yeah, center. Yeah, but that's a rec center darts <laughs> tournament, not a world championship in Sambo. Here, Pavel, here's the keys to an apartment. How long do you think the lease was? You don't want four ribeyes? Month to month. And we paid for one a month. So decisions, they're not Gafarov's friend. All five of his losses by decision. His last time out on short notice takes on John Castaneda first round against the sexy Mexi eats a head kick and a hook and gets dropped and Gafarov he's one of those guys and I know we touched on it kind of coming into the UFC we know him for that Sambo lineage but he's also doesn't like he doesn't have great takedown defense and he's got that all gas no breaks to him. he's a guy that really tries to threaten with a lot of knee bars and a lot of Kamoras to get himself back up to the feet you've seen a lot of fighters do that recently Obviously, you saw Irene Alexeeva struggle for those against Melissa Dixon last weekend, but Gafarov is cut from that same cloth to where he burns really hot, he's got a good gas tank, his striking defense will throw at the window, and when you look at Gafarov taking on Saeed Nurmagomedov, I can go through these fights that Nurmagomedov's winning, whether it was the debut against Justin Scoggins that was close, or his fight against his last two wins, rather, Douglas Silva, Deandra, Shaeed, Yakub Kakrakmanov. 
He's had to come back in some of these fights, like the D Silva fight where he got caught clean and the fight against Saeed Yacoubi got out grappled to where, yeah, he got that submission win and it was really cool to see. He resets off his butt like his Alex nice. Morono against Tim Means. We'll just whoop, scoot that guillotine in there. But Saeed uh, Nurmagomedov, he's had to fight from behind in a couple of these and he could get to that spot against Muin Gafra And that's the thing with Saeed Nurmagomedov. Feels like for every positive that you're going to mention, there's always like an oh by the way right behind it too. Like, he's a really good offensive wrestler. He's not like, when you think about Nurmagomedov, you probably assume Khabib, right? He's not at that level because there are guys who can get out from under him. Like, he doesn't have the greatest of top pressures and the reason I kind of made the joke earlier of oh, you're telling me Nurmagomedov lost the third round? He is fairly consistent for the opening 10 minutes and that's what I have a really hard time with because he'll look pretty good not fall off a lot near the end of the second round and then all of a sudden it's almost like a psychological thing with him it's hey it's the third round he's gonna really slow down and change the fighting style sometimes too and that's what I have a hard time with because if Muin Gafarov does what he has a tendency to do in some fights which is not only leave big openings with the striking but even with the grappling because that's what I think is gonna be a big X factor in this one Nurmagomedov the best one he has in his resume is the Cody Stamen guillotine right gets that in half a second or, or the Done. Quick Mark Striegel finish too. Cody Stamen was top. 15 the the for finishes a long. you like, or Ricardo Hamos was just, able to finish him. But again, Cody Stamen was top ten, top fifteen for a very long time, and he was able to snatch up that really quick. If Gaffrov does find himself just kind of being lazy with some of his forward pressure, shooting dumb strikes from the outside, and then going for those high velocity takedowns, Nurmagomedov might not be the most fan friendly guy. There's not a lot of people who are going to say, "Hey, babe, I'm sorry I can't go out tonight." Syed Nurmagomedov's fighting. Hold but, on. <laughs> to I kick off a main card of a pay-per-view. But my point is for Nomega Medoff, he is really good at making his opponents pay for those small mistakes that they make, especially the transitions with their grappling. And this is one of those fights where I could see him having that advantage again. Yeah, I mean, overall, Nomega Medoff in the UFC since 2018 when he debuted, 6-2. and two. Again, that fight against J-Mart, Jonathan Martinez, the to-be-ranked fighter. He's he will be ranked good. this week. You saw that crazy win over Adrian Yanez his last time out last weekend. But again, the judges, they scored that fight for Martinez, round two, round three. If you do look at it, I mean, big wins by finishing. You mentioned the Cody Stammen fight, the Mark Striegel fight, the Ricardo Hamosh fight. He has gotten big ones, but there have been spots where Nurmagomedov's not as quick as he was at the start. Exactly. He's not able to strike on the happy like he normally does. He's having a hard time trying to gauge the fight like he did against Douglas Silva de Andrade. So there are some spots in Nurmagomedov fights that give you pause and typically is a big favorite as he is here. More than a 2-1 to one favorite. So not as big as some of the fighters on this card, but Nurmagomedov is favored to win it. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us as they are to you. I'm going to say over under 67.5% Nurmagomedov. I think they'll be over, but I worry about the fact that he can get held in the clinch sometimes. Like, the Martinez fight, that's what happened. I think that's what lost in the fight, if anything. 1,296 total votes, 96% Nurmagomedov, 63% by decision for the 4% that of Gafarov, 61% by decision. I left my Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb. I almost put crumb and bread in, in, in the wrong order, but breadcrumb trail... There, not that long ago, and I said Saeed uh, or sorry, Saeed Nurmagomedov, he's able to strike on those half beats, and that really is the key to his wins. And from Ruin Garfarov, he leaves big openings in all of his big actions to get countered, whether it's the knees, the straight shots, the teeps up the middle for Nurmagomedov, front kicks as well. And a lot of his boxing is set up when you make a mistake and he's able to counter. So for me, I have Saeed uh, Nurmagomedov, but that last fight that he had against Jonathan Martinez where he was favored to win, it might leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And even if you don't think Martinez won, it does show how you formulate a game plan to beat a guy like 
like Nurmagomedov, you can take advantage of some of his negativity. Like, him being held in the clinch was kind of surprising, honestly. Like, he's a pretty good grappler. He's got great defensive submissions and good offensive takedowns. You would think Jonathan Martinez, of all people, would be able to hold you in some of those spots. So maybe Gafarov is able to use some of that forward pressure, use the clinch control, and have success in that area. But I agree with you. I've got Nurmagomedov. Muin Gafarov getting that second shot here. And, of course, you remember him as a 4-1 to favorite against Shada and Helliger and getting dropped early in that matchup. Both of us in this one going with Saeed Nurmagomedov to get the win. Let us know who you have in the matchup. The main card rolls on. The next fight on this one Ooh. is an absolute all-timer, Matt. We're talking about what one? It We're talking about Scarab versus Morley Alves. You heard it here first. Middleweights it's an all-timer. are going at it. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Apex, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Short Notice is the name of the game on the main card of UFC 294. And in on two weeks notice is the Ultimate Fighter Brazil Season 3 middleweight winner. We're talking about Warley Alves. He's going to be replacing one Nasruddin Imavov to take on Ikram Ali Skerov. Ma, this guy's like the uncrowned champ at middleweight right now. Aliskarov, he is the hotness right now. Like, he's Hansel. But overall, how were you excited for the Imavov fight? Do you think we were going to learn a lot about him as a contender for that? Because I know I was really looking forward to that matchup. Was I excited for the Imavov fight? I think a lot of people are disappointed oh, that's not happening. Was I fucking excited for the Paolo Costa fight that was supposed <laughs> to happen? That's another great one, Ikram Ali Skarov has one UFC win. It's over no hype. Phil Haas. He knocked him out in under three minutes in his UFC debut. He also got a knockout win over on Dana White's Contender Series. Ikram Ali Skarov all of a sudden has a number next to his name. Off of one win, he's in the top 15, and they book him with Paolo Costa, and then the fight falls out. So I was surprised to see that, but people... They like Ikram Aliskarov. And if you flip the script and look at a guy like Ikram Aliskarov, and again, only has that one loss. Four-time World Combat Sambo champion, 2014, 15, 16, and 17. Parlays that forward into such an interesting MMA career because the level of competition is kind of all over the place with Brave. He goes over to Eagle FC. Remember that time they had that fight in Florida that one time? I did. Kevin Lee fought Diego Sanchez. Ikram Aliskarov fought UFC vet Nashawn Burrell. And... Yeah, he was like glue on him. And that's that was pretty much the whole fight. You didn't get to see any of Ikram striking, which you did see over with Brave. And he had a very extensive record over with Brave. So again, like glue on Burrell. And then his last time out, he goes over on Dana White's Contender Series. And I mean, he was taking on Mario Souza. Noted kickboxer, not grappler. And in that one, he was able to mix things up. He did get tagged a little bit as the, the fight con or started, but Ali Skedov was able to take over and get the finish win. And it was a surprise that Ali Skedov even had to fight on Contender Series, knowing how good he was. So all of a sudden, you fight on Contender Series, you prove it. Now you get a guy who has a winning UFC record and has only lost to top 15 contenders. It's a really wild position for Ikram to find himself in. But if you look at it for a guy like Ikram Aliskerov, again, against Souza, he did look really good. I go back to a few of the fights that he had with Brave before he came over. The fight against Miro uh, Jerkovic, if you look at that one, Jerkovic had fought two weeks prior and looked a little slow out of the gate, and Alex Skedov was able to push the pace. He goes out there and lands a heavy, uh, steady diet of jabs. He'll then work in his right hand, and he really likes that left uh, head kick from the, the lead leg, so look out for those when you watch a guy like Adi Skedov. You know how good the takedowns can be. He has really good top pressure, but I go through the fight that he had against Gonzalez. Okay, so Gonzalez had fought Dan Hardy in 2006, and he beat him, uh, what was it? He beat him by submission, but it was overturned due to punches to the back of the head. 
So then he goes out there and he fights Hardy again. He loses. So now all of a sudden, that fight was at 170. Years later, he's in his mid-30s and he's fighting at middleweight. And he was a little chunky around the middle. But in that one, Ali Skedov was able to really land on him. And Gonzalez is able to do some work on the outside. Gonzalez shoots for a takedown. Ali Skedov meets him with the knee and it's like shin on head. Gets him down after that. Gets on top. Pounds away. Ground and pound finish. The face never looked the same for Gonzalez. So a big wild. win there for Ali Skedov. But you go down you look at it for um, the fighter representing formerly Brave, I guess. Weigh-ins have been an issue in the past. So first up in 2018, he took on Joey Birkenbosch. And he weighed 189.4 pounds for 185. When he took on uh, Nashawn Burrell, he weighed in at 186.2. So he couldn't cut that extra 0.2 pounds. So that's a little tough. He has made it down at less than 185 pounds. He fought Shemaev at a catch weight of 180. And he weighed 175.8 for that one. So I'll be interested to see uh, how Ali Skedov makes out with these weigh-ins as the UFC. Uh, career progresses and especially for this one the sambo oh my the weigh-ins they make you worry a little bit but with alice Skerov, now he gets to take on warley alvis a guy who's two and three in his last five fights and the biggest thing for alvis is not just is this his first fight since he won the ultimate fighter at middleweight to be at 185 this is the first middleweight fight since what 2014 so it's been a long time for warley alvis there but with warley alvis is what version am I going to get? It's always, what version am I going to get? Because his last time out against Nicholas Dalby, I took Alves to win. He lost the split decision to Dalby. But if we get the guy that fought against uh, Munir Lezez, if you get the guy that fought against Sergio Moraes, if you get the guy that fought Colby Covington, this guy can come out like a batter to help. But if you get the guy that fought Randy Brown or Jeremiah Wells, the guy that he comes out aggressive, but he kind of peters off as it goes on. Or if you see the glaze as he's making his way to the octagon, it's just really hard to know what version of Alves you're going to get. And I think he's going to give up some size at 185, to be honest with you, because we saw him be the smaller fighter in quite a few fights at 170. And I know Randy Brown's a long-rangey guy, but still, Alves, you didn't look at him and think, wow, that was the biggest welterweight I've ever seen in my life. So I'll be a little curious to see if he is going to stay at 185, if this might just be a one-off, hey, try to spring the big upset and we'll See what and, happened. and two weeks notice, right? Exactly. So we'll see what happens. Just for Alvesh, he wasn't big at 170, so I'm going to be really curious to see how he fights at 185. Because I know at 5'11", he's not a short guy. But uh, again, he just wasn't the biggest guy at 170, so I'm really curious to see these two face off. My other question is... Can Alves just stand up to the shots of Ali Skerov? And I know at 185, the chin should be a little bit better, right? But at 170, we saw him get hit by some clean shots that would they ultimately knock him out? Maybe not, but they'd put him on skates. They'd hurt him. He'd get rocked in quite a few occasions. So I just worry about his durability, especially at 185, fighting such a big puncher at this And division. you see the sambo of a guy like Ekram Ali Skerov. The takedowns are really good. You might want to liken him a little bit to light heavyweights. Matt, who's my guy? The professional. A big time fighter, a guy oh. out of that lefty switch stance that's uh, able to go out there and is do it. Mirzakhanov? As I'm at Mirzakhanov. That's who I think of when I think of Ali Skedov. A lot of big time shots down the middle. He puts his power and his volume together really well when he needs to. And again, that one loss is to Hamzat Shmaev. So you get a little bit of that out there. Both guys competing on the Be main card here. In the future. For Warley Alves, too, coming in a refit pro fighter. So a little bit of Jason to Pedro Hizio, Hizzo. The Lake King, the OG. But Worley Alves, when he comes in there with that Muay Thai, he could really disrupt things if he's able to work it to the body a little bit, work those kicks. And you saw it out of Alves, again, 
I know it's a split decision loss his last time out there against Nicholas Dalby. I thought that Dalby won the first round, won the second round, and all of us won the third round. But if he's there, and if he's really into the fight, he can carry it as it goes on. So he's like Dwight Howard on defense. If he's engaged, he's one of the best, right? But sometimes the mind wanders. Do you think Worley Alves like snakes like uh, Dwight Howard does? Big snake guy. In more ways than one. About, but let's continue. But Matt, Ikram Ali scared off. Big favorite in this fight. We have a look at, listen, he played for the Hornets at one point. We'll leave it at that. He did. No, nobody remembers it. But Matt, uh, we look at the top all votes. Here's the thing. I agree with your points about how Warley could have success. But do you think he's going to have enough power at this weight class to I do. keep Ikram off of him? Because I think that's going to be a really big point. Because if Ikram doesn't respect the power coming back his way, in theory, he should be able to collapse the range and just land his own power shots. Jalen Tr Turner's got tarantulas. Dwight Howard's got snakes. But Matt, when we have a look at the top all votes, surprised us there to you. I'm going to say over on. 90% Alaskara. I think they'll be over. And they are over. 1,151 total votes. 97% Alaskara. 64% by knockout for the 3% that have Alves. 51% by knockout. And I think it's fair to say if Alves is going to win, it's going to be by knockout if he gets the win. I mean, win a big shot. This guy, big time shots. When he's in, he's in. And clearly he's in. You're taking this fight on two weeks' notice on the main card of pay per view. He's not going to roll over, but for me, I do like Alaskarov, and I think his full complement of a skill set can get it done here. The only shame is that we haven't got those two previous matchups for Ikram, because those would have been great fights. Yeah. They would have shown us so much more about him, too, right? If you beat Worley Alves, like, let's be honest, you're probably going to do that. What do we learn about you as a contender? But if you're able to go out there and beat a guy like Nasty Nimovov, who, for all of his faults, is still a pretty darn good fighter the last time I checked, it would just tell us so much more about you as a contender in this division. And 185 is as wide open as we have ever seen right now. You have a brand new champion in Sean Strickland. Israel Adesanya recently said, I'm going to take a little bit of time away before I take my next fight. So it is anybody's fight up there at the top. And I think this is a great step for, well, both guys, if Worley's able to get the win. But I have Ali Scarra. Both of us going with Ikram Adley Skarov to get the win. Some big time fights in this card. The next one. Ankalaev's taking on Johnny Walker. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with fighting picks. We always say, let's get into it. Big time potential title eliminator on the main card of UFC 294 with champ Jamal Hill on the shelf and a November matchup between Yuri Prohashka. He's going to be taking on Matt. Who is it? Alex Pereira. And I quote, the worst shoulder injury I have ever seen. <laughs> a big time fight here this weekend. Magomed Ankalaev taking on Johnny Walker. Frank Ankalaev, he's got to take this like a staple gun to the nuts. I have a hot take, Craig. I don't know why the odds... Okay, I understand why the odds are where they are. But you're going to ask me where the topology votes are near the end of this video. But let me set them, because I'm going to put them at you know a ridiculous what? rate. Because I think this fight is way closer than it should we're, be. We're going into retirement soon. I'm taking Johnny Walker in this fight. Let's do it. This is my point about this fight. The one big fault that you have about Magomed Ankalaev is he is almost so skilled that it's too easy for him, and then he gets, like, really lackadaisical in a lot of these matchups and allows his opponent to fight back into it. If you give Johnny Walker an inch, he takes a mile. And yes, he leaves every single opening possible. He's going to throw wild strikes where you can throw counters and knock him out. He's going to let you take him down and probably be a fish out of water off his back in a lot of these uh, grappling exchanges. But he also lands ridiculous shots from odd angles, and Mega Man Alive has been hit and rocked by guys. Like, the ghost of Tiago Santos was able to drop him in the fourth round of their fight. So I think Johnny Walker, for being as big of an underdog as he is, and how crazy is it he might fight for a title? Like, th 
think about where we are in the Johnny Walker arc of all of this. The future John Jones, the like biggest hype job ever, who's a failure. And now we're like, hey, Johnny Walker's like kind of good. And I'm glad we're on the same page with this. Just because Ankaliev has that one big hitch to his game, which is, I'm going to just, you know... I'm going to fuck around every now and then. And I don't think you can mess around with a guy like Johnny Walker. So Magum and Ankalaev on Topology right now, they show him as a minus 345 favorite. He was listed on the broadcast as a minus 345 favorite against Jan Blahovich. And that fight scored a split draw. Mike Bell scored the first to the third round for Blahovich. Round four, round five for Ankalaev. Derek Cleary scored rounds three and five for Ankalaev. Round five is a 10-8. Saldamato scored round one to three for Blahovich. Round five was a 10-8 for Ankalaev. So overall, I scored that fight 49 to 46 for Ankalaev. I thought Ankalaev won that fight. I could see where you make an argument for a 10-8 in the fifth round, but I'm not an MMA judge. But regardless, I thought Ankalaev got the win. I was really surprised in the aftermath. They called a split, split draw. Dana White never makes rash decisions after a fight, but at the press conference, he's like, listen, the next one. Glover Teixeira is going to fight Jamal Hill for the title. Screw it. That was a pretty good fight, though. We're doing it live. But for Ankalaev, he's been off since UFC 282. That was back last year, or in December. For Johnny Walker, you look at the losses, you look at the wins. Let's look at the last three wins. He beats Yuan Kutsalaba. Both these guys have it in common. For Ankalaev, his second second time out, Ankalaev got a performance bonus. Walker goes out there and submits him. Paul Craig grabs a leg kick and then eats a backwards hammer fist and gets knocked out. For Johnny Walker, his last time out... He's fighting like, what the fuck? He's taking on Anthony Smith. And we shouldn't make light of it, but... It was weird. Anthony Smith went through something in that fight. And Johnny Walker was able to pull out the winner by decision. But overall, when you look at this match, Ankalaev training back home for this one. Um, out of a fight camp that's bad. It's bad. On the international stage, not good. Bad. Johnny Walker training out of SBG Ireland. And I'll throw up a picture there for Johnny Walker. He has <clears throat> Thomas Cardi in his gym. A big heavyweight boxer who's 6-0. and He's a southpaw. His last five wins are by knockout. I think that makes a big difference. When you look at a guy like Magomed Ankalaev, UFC website, they have him as orthodox. I, I listed him as orthodox on the graphics, and then I deleted it, and I put in switch. Because the last number of fights for Ankalaev, when I go back and watch tape, he's fighting from southpaw in these ones. And you know him for the crazy kick uh, and the bonus that he got against Dolce Lungyambula, the crazy boxing he was able to show against Kutsalaba, the good defensive wrestling, but also offensive wrestling, the fact that he was a champ outside of the UFC, and his only loss MMA tinfoil hat is to Paul Craig, where he won 14 minutes and 59 seconds of a fight until he got submitted in the final moments. But Frank Eliab, this guy, again, yes, I agree with you. He's one of the most perfect fighters that's out there. He doesn't tend to make a lot like of mistakes. You can't critique the skill set, exactly, no. right? Like, he's a good wrestler, great grappler, great striker. Like, there's nothing in his skill set that you can look at and say, hey, he needs to get better at. It's just how he puts it all together. It's what we said about Gilbert Burns for the longest time. And unfortunately, Gilbert Burns is never able to get a title shot, even though he was able to put it all together. And listen, Ekali is probably going to be a champion at this division at some point. Like, 205, anybody in the top 10 could beat anybody on any game given night so i do think ankle live at one point probably sooner rather than later is going to get a title shot i just think oddly enough stylistically in this matchup if he finds himself on the back foot johnny walker is one of the few fighters who will go for broke trying to get the knockout win and he's gonna leave himself out there and he's gonna get knocked out more than likely more than likely but ankle we all see it he'll just wait back with his hands down and i think a lot of his opponents have
have the respect of, hey, if I do get out of position, I'm going to get knocked out. I just don't think Johnny Walker's going to have that hesitation in his game, and I think he's going to give him the best chance to and win. And there were spots like that in Ankalaev's fight against Volkan Uzdemir. Yeah. Where he's getting hit. And Uzdemir, he's had a career resurgence of late, but again, you look at the odds, Ankalaev, a heavy favorite in this one. We have a look at the top Algy vote. Surprised us there to you. I'm going to say over under 90% Ankalaev. I'm still taking Johnny Walker. It's over. Well, it's under, but we're, we'll still be the laughing stock of the internet for a couple months. Uh, 1,525 total votes. 79% Ankalaev. 36% having to win by decision. 53% having to win by knockout. For the 21% that have Walker, 74% by knockout. So, again, for me, I do like Walker. I like the southpaw look out of Cardi in his, uh, in his camp for this one. And Walker's done a lot of good things with that camp. You saw it before the Kutsilaba fight, training with a big-time grappler wrestler as his coach. Same thing against Paul Craig, working his striking before the Anthony Smith fight and didn't take a lot of, you know, didn't take a lot of liberties, I guess, when he fought Anthony Smith in that one. Maybe see a little bit of a tentative start from Johnny Walker to feel it out, but the same thing can be said for Ankalaev, who has a strike differential. It's 3.55 strikes landed per minute to 2.15 absorbed. He's got 86% for takedown defense, and he's got 59% for striking defense. So Magomed Ankalaev, very technically well-put-together fighter. And again, listen, if you go by the odds by the fans, is going to win this fight. But for me, I'm going to go with Johnny Walker. Give me the Jar Jar Banks of MMA, because he seems to do everything wrong, but it still kind of works no matter what. I like Johnny Walker in the fight. Both of us going with Johnny Walker, Matt. People are going to laugh. We have some big-time fights. Co-main event, Usman taking on Hamzat Shemaya. Main event is for the title. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fighting Apex, we always say. Let's get into it. On 10 days notice, it's announced that one of the all-time greats is going to be stepping in to take his first middleweight fight. That's the Nigerian nightmare, Kamaru Usman. Long gone are the days for the belt at Walter Waite, but he's still ranked the top contender in that division. He gets to take on the fourth-ranked fighter in that division, but he's moving up. Middleweight's got to be for good. It's Hamzat Shemaya. Borz's first action since he weighed 178.5 pounds to take on Nate Diaz, but the fight fell out due to that. So he took on Kevin Holland, submitted him very quickly, and Shemaev's been on the sidelines ever since. So you get that recency of Usman losing to Edwards and then losing a decision in the trilogy fight against Edwards. But for Usman, again, new digs at 185, a big-time opportunity on short notice, and a crazy clash of styles between a couple of busybodies in the octagon. I have a hard time with this fight because it comes down to where Kamaru Usman's mindset is, and that's something I can't tell you. Because here's the thing. I thought he was pretty hesitant in the Leon Edwards. I guess it was the third fight, not the second one. And I think the knockout in their second fight did play a little bit of a factor as to why he didn't really go for it. And I know Usman, for a large part of his career, wasn't known as that really exciting guy, right? It kind of took Colby Covington and some more specific matchups. The Masvidal knockouts, one that they play on repeat all the time, right? It did take some more specific matchups skill-wise from to go out there and start putting on more exciting performances. And this is a weird fight because he didn't look great in the Edwards the third fight around. And if Usman looks at it this way of, hey, I can move up to 185, beat this guy and fight for the title next in a wide open division and become double champ all in like six months, then I do think he has a chance to win this fight. But if he's only taking this fight as like, hey, 
you know, Dana called me. They're probably, you know, one of those locker room bonuses that they talk about. Like, he's flying across the world to fight a guy up a weight class. They're probably helping him out a little bit. Then I don't know what version of him we're going to get. Because Usman did this against Tyron Woodley. And I think it might be used against him in this matchup. How did Usman neutralize Woodley completely? He took him down and held him down. Because the one thing about a really wrestling-heavy style is, you normally don't have the greatest defense off your back, right? You're not threatening with submissions. If you're stuck there, you're stuck there. And if Usman gets stuck there against Shemaev... I just don't know if defensively, other than some scrambles here or there, or the initial exchange of the wrestling, if he's going to be able to fight from that bottom position, that's why I have such a hard time, because I think on the feet, Usman's not the most technical guy, right? They talk about it when he fought Covington a couple times, he's putting his head down and throwing power shots. If he lays straight shots down the middle, Shemayev's not invincible. Like, he's a really, really good fighter, he's great all around, but he has been hit by big shots and rocked by those shots, and I think Usman, with the power that he possesses, might be able to hurt Shemayev. Well, and for Shemayev, and this is going to be what the folks are going to say in the chat. I can already read minds out there on the internet and see it right now. Shamayev, he skirts by against Gilbert Burns in an all-time fight. Crazy fight. Kamaru Usman dusted Gilbert Burns after he got clipped at the start of it. But when you do look at this one for Kamaru Usman, this is his first three-round fight since 2018 when he fought Valhalla, you know, Emil Weber mech over there. Imagine how good his knees feel. He's like, listen, guys, 10 less minutes. It's going to be wild. But for Usman overall, he had the second longest active UFC win streak when he was going into the second fight against Leon Edwards. 15 straight wins, only above him by one win at the top. Anderson Silva, he's seventh all-time in average fight time, 17 minutes and 35 seconds. That's more than a regular three-round fight. He's fighting those long title fights. The most interesting part about this, though, he's eighth all-time in total strikes. Obviously, Max Holloway's at the top. But ninth all-time is Hamzat Shemaev. Significant strikes landed per minute, 7.3 for Shemaev. And he's in that same category of strike differential. Same number all-time yeah. at 3.32. Shemaev, very, very busy. Obviously, he gets to do that Spider-Man And outside meme. of the Burns fight, he really hasn't eaten much in terms of strikes. No, and, and so Shemaev, you remember the Reese McKee fight? that was tough for McKee. The fight against Gerald Mearshart. Yeah, he drops him early. Jing Liang takes him down easily. Kevin Holland and the like. Shemaev hasn't gone through a lot of adversity other than the Burns fight. So for Shemaev, as I said, Spider-Man meme because he beat Ikram Aliskerov, who's on this fight, knocked him out. Again, will the wrestling neutralize? Will Kamaru Usman even go for it? Or do we see the version that fought against Jorge Masvidal when he knocked him out against Gilbert Burns? We've seen that striking version of Usman. So on short notice, does he rely on the skills that he has in his back pocket? I think if he strikes, he's going to get knocked out, to be completely honest with you. I, I know that's a bit of a weird take, because Usman has developed quite a bit as a striker. Honestly, before the Emil Mech fight, that was a big conversation. Like, he talked about retiring because no one would take the fight because it was that difficult of a matchup. It was primarily due to the wrestling and less so due to the boxing. So, his striking has come a long way. But Shemaev has legitimate one-shot power. And I don't know if the jab of Usman is going to be good enough to keep him away. If Usman had a more developed kicking game, I think it would help him with some of the ranges to help him land more straight shots down the middle. But without the kicks for Usman, I think Shemaev is going to be able to close that distance and land some big power shots. And that's why it's a weird fight. Because I think Usman has a chance to make this one of those fight of the night close fights. But if Shemaev gets really close, I think he could end it quick. And it might make Shemaev look, again, like that completely indestructible fighter he was. We'll see who has the advantage at one 
185. Shemaev has, of course, the back oh, pocket in the division. But what too. I will say, I think Usman's going to look better at 185 than, like, Morley Alves is. Like, Usman's a big guy who had to cut a lot of weight to get to 170, especially at the end of his run at 170. So, I, I am a little bit curious to see. Maybe at 185, the gas tank's reinvigorated, and he will be able to go for a lot more offensive takedowns. Well, in this one, Shemaev is favored. We have a look at your votes over in the YouTube community tab, Matt. It is a large sample size. I put it out there a few days ago. They're closer than I thought they'd be, honestly. 2,300 total votes, 65% going with Shemaev. A few of your comments, but NMS Soccer 222 saying, too short a notice for Usman against this tough an opponent. I had a new weight class. Hope he can pull it off somehow. Chandler Witt thinks that Camaro gets beaten handily on, with full camp. I think he gets ran through for a final paycheck and probably retires here. We've got uh, Busta saying, Hamzat going to go crazy 100. And one more, I'll go with... Uh, Louis V saying Usman has a pretty good chance. He pummeled Burns, and Burns could have beat Hamzat. And on top of that, Burns trains with Usman, but every fight is different. You might have seen it out there on Twitter. The fact, and I wish I could credit where it was from, so I apologize. But Usman's going to have Henry Hoof and Trevor Whitman in his corner for this it's one. A pretty so good corner. Pretty good corner, and I threw it on the graphic. Onyx and also uh, Killcliffe FC. I do have Hamzat Shemaev in the fight. I think the younger man's going to have more success in some of those grappling exchanges, and I think his shots... There's a lot more power in it than there is out of the volume of Usman. But that Usman KO of Masvidal, just, it plays on repeat. So, yeah, for me, I have Shamaya, but I think this is a great fight. I have Shamaya because I think his defensive wrestling is going to be good enough to keep this on the feet. And if he is able to keep it on the feet, I do think he just has so much more power in his hands. I know Usman's been able to get some knockout TKO victories, but again, that was just a very specific stretch of his career. He landed on Colby because Colby's in your face for the whole entire fight, so you can land a couple shots. And Masvidal made a really big mistake. So I think for Usman, he can have success with some of those straight shots. I just don't know if we're going to be able to see Usman go out there and just dominate for 15 minutes on the feet. I think Shamayev is enough of a threat. We'll see what happens. Both of us going with Boers. Hamzat Shemaev to get the win. The main event. It's a title fight, Matt. Oh. It's a big time rematch. Makachev taking on Volkanovski. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Keep it locked in with Fighting Apex, we always say. Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Rematched and reset the main event of UFC 294, Alexander Volkanovsky, in on 10 days notice, replacing Charles Oliveira to take on Islam Makachev. And in their first fight, it was a battle for pound for pound supremacy. Well, Volkanovsky, off of that loss, was able to go out and finish the interim champ, Yair Rodriguez, down at featherweight. He takes this fight on short notice. We couldn't be more amped about it. As always, one half of your host, Nuo Craig Allen. Twitter and Instagram, at Craig Allen FNP. With me to my left, to your right, respective show socials. Sean Livingston? Jonathan Kaminga? Is it a role player for the... I, I have a big hot take that if Jonathan Kaminga played on, like, another team that was rebuilding, he put up monster numbers. It's just the Golden State's so good, they don't really need him right well, now. Well, we'll see how it works, Matt. I'm wearing a Charlie Hewlett-worn, game-worn uh, practice jersey. So, it's crazy stuff, but here for the underdogs, and Matt, this weekend, Volkanovski in that underdog role once more. And when we look at this fight, and we look at the first one, again, a lot of buzz around it. The odds in the original matchup, Volkanovski. Plus 310, Makachev minus 380. And going back and watching that fight this afternoon, I had an idea in my mind of how the fight went. But on the rewatch, I scored at rounds 1, 3, and 4 for Makachev. And then I had round 2 and round 5 for Volkanovski. And I thought, okay, knockdown near the end, Volkanovski. That was the only credited knockdown in the entire fight. Now, 
There were knockdowns pretty well on both sides in the first round. In the second round, both there was guys a knockdown. Hurt each other, yeah. Both guys hurt each other throughout that fight. It's just, to me, when in the first fight, Volkanovski was able to pressure forward in the blitzes. He was able to land some of the shots to the body. He was able to negate some of the, the takedowns out of Makachev. He had a lot of success. And it wasn't just with straight shots. It was with the looping shots as well. And he was able to catch Makachev on those half beats. And pull away but for me i know again a lot of people seem to think that the judging was fairly controversial it two two of three judges gave round three to volkanovsky or sorry to makachev i scored for volkanovsky i might have my scoring all over the place I, I i'm gonna read through this while i hand it off to you but regardless i had it three rounds to two for makachev but again a 49 46 seems silly but it's one of those fights that where i can't fight. argue with you if you had volkanovsky personally i thought makachev won 48 47 but again if you had volkanovsky I, I could sit here and listen to your argument because it was that close of a contest upon multiple rewatches i've scored it for both guys so i get where both people are coming from i have a hard time with this though because the thing about volkanovsky is i know we get tagged by some big shots on the feet but i still believe he's the more technical striker between these two he throws the more varied shots he's able to get in and out of the pocket a lot faster it's just every now and then Makachev was able to land one of those big hooks and listen Makachev doesn't have the most refined striking but it is pretty effective and with the threat of his wrestling it does accentuate it that much more it is very similar to what Khabib benefited from near the end of his career remember how good his striking looked against Justin Gaethje a lot of that came from the fact that Justin Gaethje was terrified of the takedown attempt coming so I do think Makachev benefits a lot from the fact that his grappling is so dominant but it was impressive to see Volkanovski not only hang with Makachev in the grappling, but defend the takedown attempts. Because for being the smaller guy, and Makachev's a big 155er, right? Like, Volkanovski's short for his division, but I don't think he's a small featherweight, right? Like, he, he's very stocky, very strong for the division. He's a small 155er, and the fact that he was able to hang and defend some of those takedowns and scramble with Makachev, I found to be extremely impressive. Like, I truly think Volkanovski's probably one of the top 5 for 5, just strongest pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the UFC, because that's his ability to scramble with Makachev. But I don't know if on short notice he's going to have the ability to do it for as long as he was able to continue well, it in that uh, first And fight. that was the big talking point of the commentary team throughout the first fight that was back at UFC 284 was... Both these guys have insane cardio. Both these guys can push a pace through five rounds. Dominic Cruz's kind of final thing that he said in the fifth round, he says his cardio is a huge weapon nonstop about Alexander Volkanovsky. He saw the big right hand that landed the knockdown in the fifth round. It was wild. Against Makachev. And my point from earlier was in the third round, I thought that Makachev won. Two of the three judges gave that to Volkanovsky. So I did have my rounds right, but that was just the one thing that I wanted to add in there. The scoring was all over the place. But it was a really close fight the first time. Now, again, Volkanovski taking this fight on less than two weeks' notice. And if you look at it, I mean, his last time out, he had a fight camp at two gyms. Gym in Australia with Joe Lopez. He also had one big-time Eugene Behrman in his corner. But it didn't seem like there was a lot going on with City Kickboxing from camp-wise because Volkanovski spent most of it at Bangtown Muay Thai in Thailand with the Hickman brothers. So I'll be interested to see what Volkanovski is able to kind of pull out of his bag of tricks in this one because he's a guy even coming off the couch. I'm not worried about the cardio. This is a guy that is an absolute, for lack of a better word, a machine. And so when is you look at dog, Craig? when you look at this fight, Matt, again, I was kind of surprised. You know, you saw them, you know, stare down with one another, face off, I guess is the word that you could use. You saw them both in the cage. It didn't look like there was a giant size discrepancy there for Volkanovski to Makachev. Volkanovski looked big in that fight. He really did. He did, but I still think Makachev... Like, Makachev barely makes 155. There was conversations he was going to have to move up to 170 for a long time in his career. So, not that Volkanovski is a small guy, just with the height 
coming into 155, he would look out of place if he fought like Dustin Poirier, Justin Gage. He might, well, Michael Chandler probably looks him in the eye, but you get the idea. I like this fight, but I brought this up to a friend of mine the other day, my buddy Tim, who's a big MMA fan. It sucks that we are getting it on short notice, right? Because, like, Makachev's going to beat most guys at 155, I think. To be fair, I think Oliveira was going to have a really good opportunity. I was probably going to pick Makachev, to be completely honest and transparent, but Charles Oliveira can beat anybody in the world. But for Volkanovski, I didn't think anybody at 145 was going to beat him, especially nobody currently. I guess Tapuri has a chance, but personally, I would have sided with Volkanovski. Point being, these guys would have met eventually on full camps, and I think that would have given us the best version of this fight. Whereas, with the short notice for Volkanovski, he might just not have the same 10 out of 10 cardio. I agree with you. I, I don't worry about him coming off the couch in terms of, hey, he's just going to fall off a cliff after the second round. But these guys fought at a wild pace in that first fight, where they're always doing something. There's always... A striking, getting hit, having some kind of a grappling exchange, and I just don't know if Volkanovski's going to be able to hold up to the same level in this fight. Both of these men undefeated in Abu Dhabi for Alexander Volkanovski. It was the second fight against Max Holloway. Split decision win there. Obviously, both those first two fights are really close as it went on. Not as close. Not at all. Volkanovski pulled away. Makachev 3-0. and He has wins over... Uh, Davi Hamosh, people might forget that one, an old-time name. That was supposed name. to be a close fight. Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira when Makachev won the belt. So again, the odds in this one, Makachev favored. Different price in the original fight. It is less so than it was in the original matchup. Which of course. We threw it out there to you guys in the YouTube community tab. A lot of people showed up here. 60, whoa, 2,500 total votes. You can check it. YouTube community tab. It's easy to find. 61% Volkanovski in the comments. David McIntosh saying, let's go, Alex. This is your time. Uh, Maceo is saying, I believe in Alex. Let's go. Marsh Marley saying, ain't no way people think Volk's got this on short notice. Okay, this is my theory about this fight. It reminds me a lot of Jack Della Madalena's last fight where he won... But, like, I guess it was the fight before last where he won. But it was closer than people thought it was going to be. So in their minds, they want to judge it even closer. Volkanovski was completely counted out their first fight. Like, nobody thought that fight was going to be close whatsoever. Makachev was running through everybody. Just destroyed Charles Oliveira, who was, like, a pound-for-pound great. Probably going to be a Hall of Famer off the run Oliveira had. So for Makachev... I think the fact that the fight was closer than people initially thought it was going to be does help Volkanovski so much. And maybe he is going to go out there. Like, there's no reason for me to believe he can't win this fight based on what I saw in their first matchup. That's how close the fight was. I just think the fact that he's getting this much shorter to get ready for it is going to be a detriment to him. Yeah, and it, it will be interesting. Makachev getting ready for a fight against Oliveira, getting ready to kind of acclimatize himself to Abu Dhabi. And then you look at the fact that Volkanovski, in their original fight, the blitzes work for him. The hooks work for him. They Again, did. second round, big-time hook. Uh, fifth okay, round, yeah. big-time hook. And he's able to drop Makachev. And again, uncredited knockdowns. You just have to watch the fight, I guess. But for Volkanovski, a lot of people are going to kind of hold him in the high regard. Not just because both these two guys are, are Hall of Famers, but because Volkanovski's win... To cap off International Fight Week against Sierra Rodriguez, where he's able to hit him with that big shot. It rocks Rodriguez yeah. back. Then he lands the knees. Then Rodriguez is down. And then it's just ground and pound from there. Volkanovski is 
an all-time fighter. And when he came into the UFC, he thought, he's fighting Mizuto Hirota? He's fighting Junior Bacon Cheeseburger? He'd be like Ricky Henderson or Mike Schmidt. He'd have like a hundred war in baseball terms. It's wild. So, Matt, I do have Islam Makachev in the rematch. Both of us going with Makachev in this fight. But there are some big-time fights on this card. I know there's some that are kind of like going to fly under the radar. Bantamweight's the hotness right now. We know that. But you look at the fights between Javid Bashrat, Victor Henry. You look at the fight between Nathaniel Wood and Muhammad Naimov. A couple of ones that are down on the prelims. They're not going to get the shine of a main card. But I know, you know, we're away from the apex now. We can get amped for these fights, and we're really looking forward to it. I think it's a really fun pay-per-view card ahead of us, to be honest. Again, I mentioned it in the opening. The UFC does a pretty good job of throwing these fights together on short notice. You wouldn't assume they get one of the best uh, welterweights of all time to jump in on short notice to fight one of the scarier fighters, really, in the UFC. And then on the other side, everybody was excited for that Oliveira rematch. More people are probably excited for the Volkanovski rematch, so these are great fights. Well, some big-time fights. You know Question Mark Kicks is two hours before the prelims on Saturday. Make sure you tune in for that. The home stretch of the year, and we're tied on the pick tally. So some big moves making, in the making. Coming up to end this year, Matt, some big-time fights this weekend. Make sure you check them out. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get get into it. it.